0: Read the explosive New York Times bestseller Empire of Pain by acclaimed New Yorker reporter Patrick Radden Keefe. Slate says it's a real-life version of the HBO series Succession with a lethal sting in its tail, a masterful work of narrative reportage. Now is the perfect time to read this gripping account of the meteoric rise and staggering fall of the Sackler dynasty. Empire of Pain is now available in paperback from Anchor Books.
1: Died here, Because that's important. And we got to get uh, beautiful Bill WD-40 into the chat room there so he can lube us up for tonight's show. You know That way everything runs smoothly. And that right there, Bill WD-40, I know you're listening. All right, it's going to be a great night tonight. Kevin Kennedy, otherwise known as TMI, how you doing? Good to have you here, buddy. Hope you had a good weekend. Maggie M10, welcome to SOR Chat. The Dirt Road, how are you? Welcome to SOR Chat. Guys, I'm going to put a link in the chat room for you. We have created a Facebook event for our Vegas party, which is May 19th to 21st, 2023. If you want to attend, it's going to be right there, so make sure you check it on out right now. It is on. It is time, and I need your horns up. Let's rock. of snowy British Columbia, to you listening around the world, this, my friends, is Spaced Out Radio. I am your host, Dave Scott, sitting in the captain's chair of SOR Headquarters, we welcome you to tonight's show on our terrestrial affiliates It's around North America, digitally on Odyssey Radio, Talk Street Live, and KPNL. All of our archives are free. Join us at youtube.com forward slash Spaced Out Radio. Do old baby the favor, hit that subscribe button. You can follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. Our website is at SpacedOutRadio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read Shirky News Newswire, check out our swag as well. Tonight's show is brought to you by Chive Charities. Help make the world 10% happier by visiting Chive Charities today. You can find them on our website, we got a great show for you tonight. One of the best authors when it comes to all things UFO and aliens. Preston Dennett is with us to talk about his new book, Not From Here, Volume 4. Dirty Filth is here with the art as well. Then in hour number three, we're going to head to the swamp. Our resident swamp dweller is back with another spooky story. Tim Senor will return for the UFO report. It's a busy one tonight, and Shirky Poo will have the news. All right, let's get bang on to it. Preston Dennett began investigating UFOs and the paranormal back in 1986 when he discovered that his family, friends, and coworkers were all having dramatic, unexplained encounters. Since then, Preston has interviewed hundreds of witnesses and investigated a wide variety of paranormal phenomena. He is a field investigator with MUFON, Ghost Hunter Paranormal Researcher, and he's nailed down 30 books already. 30 books, including his brand new one, Not From Here?, Volume 4, his website, com. if you want to check it on out. I highly suggest to you, if you don't have a Preston Dennett book in your UFO library, you're missing out. He is literally one of the best. It doesn't matter who you talk to on this planet when it comes to UFOs. Every single one of us knows the kind of researcher and the kind of person Preston Dennett is, and he is literally one of the best in this field. We're glad to have him as a friend here on Spaced Out Radio, Preston Dennett. It is always good to have you here, my friend. How you been doing?
2: Oh, How are you doing?
1: I am absolutely great, man. I'm digging out of the snow. Yeah, it's decided, winter decided to come about a month and a quarter early, uh, the first snow started on Halloween, then it tapered down, and then the second snow started this past friday and it hasn't stopped. We got about four or five inches. It's real small, dry stuff it's not going this, this snow right now, man, is not going to leave until April April I'm not ready for this Preston not ready at all
2: may as well enjoy it. Winter is just a few days away, so starting early for you. Well, my friend,
1: friend, you have no idea, and I mean this because I know you don't, going from California to Georgia where you are now, okay? You have no idea the stress that a snowblower that isn't running puts on you at this time of year.
2: Mm. (laughs) I have some idea. I come from Chicago originally. We did move when I was like six, but I still remember. Oh,
1: okay. I'll give you that one. Uh, (laughs) I'll give you that one. My friend, you just pump out these books left, right, and center. You you know, I want to just ask you this. I want to ask you a couple questions that I've never asked you before. You know, Uh you were, Preston, when, when somebody talks about UFOs or ET contact, Your name always comes up, you know, and I don't know if you've noticed that over the years, you know, but I, I sure have. And I think that says a lot about your dedication to this field, your dedication to telling the stories with proper research and everything like that, you know. I know you're an experiencer, your family is experiencers, but why are you so passionate about bringing the reality of this subject to the forefront of the public?
2: You know, I don't rightly know. I kind of ask that question myself every now and then. I think there's a couple of reasons. Uh, I think it's just damn interesting. It's very, very cool to think about the fact that there are ETs, out there, well, here, really. I've always been a huge science fiction fan and really wanted to be a science fiction writer. Uh, But when I found out that, you know, UFOs are real, ETs are visiting us, that was far more interesting. Uh, When I found out that people I know and love and trust were having encounters, that really hit home. When I started having my own encounters, I mean, it just ramped up. Um, I'm really... Angry at our governments for covering this up. It was a real shock finding out this was all real. So I think just all these things lined up, and once you get involved in this subject, it's hard to let it go. And I just, I don't know. I find it fascinating. You know, I want to go on board, <laughs>
1: and I know you you want more, and you have a lot more to give this field and you know what, and to be honest with you, I think we're all better for it. So uh, thank you for everything that you do to get these stories out, you know, outside of what's happened to you over the years, is there a story that you have been told over the years that just, it really to this day sticks out to you? Like it really hit home for you?
2: Oh yeah. I mean, I run into one of those every now and then. There's a few that just really I never forget. I think one that always sticks out to me was Bob lady who's a really good witness. She's a real estate agent, became a psychologist, and had lifelong contact as a very young girl. She woke up outside her home, and a UFO was coming down and sucked her right up into inside of it. But she had an experience later on as a young adult where she was driving her motorcycle through the Wachung Mountains of New Jersey late at night. This was some years ago. And she had an accident. She slid her motorcycle and banged it up pretty bad. She herself was okay, but the motorcycle was pretty damaged. And mind you, this is on a mountain road, very remote, late at night. No cars are going to come by. So she was really wondering what to do and how she was going to get out of this situation. And this is when her, quote, friends showed up. And this was probably her closest and most fully conscious encounter, I guess is how I'd put it. But she said these two figures just showed up right on the road. They were thin. They had bald heads, large eyes, very pale skin, wearing white jumpsuits, but otherwise could have passed for human. They clearly weren't. Didn't say a word. They just told her to step back. She was just a few feet away from them. And they picked up her motorcycle. Um, one of them was looking at her, and the other bent down and started straightening out the Kickstarter. Uh, the motorcycle, she couldn't start it because it had one of those old fashioned Kickstarters. And using his hands, he just kind of fixed it. They stood back, motioned for her to get on her motorcycle, which she did. <laughs> And it started up fine, and she took off, taking one quick look back at them, and they were just standing there. They they rescued her. Uh, and, yeah, it's an unusual case. I don't have one quite like it, but that was one of the early ones that really sticks in my mind. How do you
1: not become so – what's the word I'm looking for uh... – how do you how do you separate yourself from the stories that you hear how do you, how do you keep that professional that professionalism that you need in order to tell the story because i mean the stories that you're involved with are dealing with a lot of emotion sometimes a lot of trauma sometimes a lot of uh, tears and 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 wondering and, and there is no answers to it how do you keep yourself straight in line
2: of what you do? Oh, well, it's not always easy. Um, yeah, I mean, when the witnesses are having a real hard time with it, uh, I have a hard time, too. I mean, I had a Marine, you know, a real tough guy, start weeping on the phone. And when I asked him to describe his encounter with a reptilian humanoid, he started crying. And, of course, I started crying, too, because <laughs> um, I'm kind of an emotional guy. I'm a little bit sensitive to these sort of things. So yeah, it's tough at times, uh, but I just step back. I try real hard to just initially help each person. And I don't wanna put my own beliefs or you know, what I feel about the phenomena into a person's account. I totally respect it, whether they've had what they believe is a negative encounter or a positive or anywhere in between. This is their encounter, this is their story. I just do my level best to tell it as truthfully and as honestly as I can. But, yeah, it's a lot. Sometimes I do have to just step back and take a break uh, because it is a lot to deal with sometimes doing this day in, day out. But I love it. It's interesting. You know, you you
1: have teamed up with your significant other Dolly Safran who's been a guest on this show a couple of times as well and her own encounters and experiences have really blown the roof off of a ufology since you actually told her story firsthand how has this new team in tandem of you and Dolly really come together regarding the phenomena and and things that happen have you drawn any more conclusions or or thoughts on on what this is all about
2: um to a certain extent she's definitely answered a lot of questions i have about like the et craft being fully conscious and what the ai greys are whenever i see photographs or films i bring them to her (laughs) like what do you think is this fake is this cgi does this match what you know so there's a definitely a level of expertise and, I think, knowledge that she has that is really helpful, honestly. So there's that for sure. And, yeah, um, I think it's really cool to, you know, hook up with people who are having experiences because that increases your experiences as well. Um, so there's all kinds of good things that come with it. Yeah.
1: All right, you know, I'm kind of just kind of, you know, warming up our audience because when we get to the bottom of the hour, we're going to get into Not From Here, Volume 4, your latest book that is out. And, you know, you look at it, and you've interviewed hundreds of eyewitnesses, if not probably into the thousands by now, Preston. Out of everything that you have learned from people's experiences, the good, the bad, and the ugly, Are you at a point now where you can draw any type of conclusions as to what is going on with ET contact?
2: Oh, yeah, 100%. I think, you know, as researchers, certainly I'm not the only one. I think we've got a pretty good handle on the ET agenda, why they're here, what they're doing, what's going on, how long they've been here, the various ET types what to expect when someone is taken on board. It's pretty clear to me that contact is not a negative experience, although some people do experience it that way, especially initially. It can be quite traumatic, uh, but I don't think there's any real good evidence that they're here to hurt us or scare us or take over our planet really at all. I think their agenda basically in a nutshell is one of healing, of teaching, of guiding, of waking people up. I mean, there was one lady from the East Coast who I interviewed. She had very conscious contact. She had a full-on conversation with a gray who introduced himself as Sen. And she asked him all kinds of questions, which pretty much echoed what I've learned from other contactees like Dolly and others who have really extensive contact. And she asked him, you know, are you planning on taking over our planet? And he said no and expressed amusement and told her flat out, your planet is too crowded. You guys are very violent. You're difficult to be around. There's plenty of other planets in the solar system or in the galaxy, rather. Uh, we have no interest in living on your planet. It's not suitable for us. So, yeah, I think I've learned a lot by this point, having talked to so many people. That when someone tells me, Oh, I've had contact, I would say I can predict a good eighty to ninety percent of what they're gonna say. Each case does have unique elements. Every you pretty much always learn something when you interview somebody.
1: Unique elements like what?
2: Oh, like perhaps something the ETs might say, or what's inside the craft, how the room looks. Um an instrument here or there, uh, that sort of thing. Little, little tiny elements. Uh, I, yeah, I always get surprised every now and then. <laughs> uh, so, it's it's still new, but yeah, a, a lot of what people say is pretty much predictable at this point. I know Dolly surprised me. She had quite a few things.
1: But what you're um, saying is still quite controversial. Preston, because, you know, there's a a whole stigma going on. Well, they're taking us out of our bedrooms. They're taking us without us knowing. They're taking us against our own will here. I mean, how can that be anything but positive if they're not allowing us to remember what is going on? They may uh, allow a few snippets, a few seconds, even a few minutes, but, I mean, there's still a lot of people who will say that there is nothing... Uh, positive about being taken out of your own room without your knowledge or consent.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. And I interview them all the time. And I always ask them, you know, what is, how do you feel about this? And the vast majority of them, I'm going to say 90% at least, uh, will not say that they feel like this is an evil, negative experience. Yes. It can traumatize them. Some people absolutely feel that they've been violated and are being taken against their conscious will uh, but i think most people who have extensive contact who face their fear and have started to really recover their memories start to come around and realize like this is they're not here to hurt me not all of them i mean in my book Onboard UFO uf bone Counters, i would say it's a little bit of a mixed bag there's a good portion who feel like this is a wonderful experience. They're my friends. I love them. They're like family. And there's one guy who's like, I think they're demonic. He really does. And he's not going to waver from that. And others who feel like it's, you know, mostly positive and was really scary in the beginning. Um, I am not going to, you know, say that people don't have trauma involved with this because they do. It's very common that people have nightmares, can't sleep unless the lights are on, put double locks on their doors, these sort of things. That is very common, especially in the beginning. And I always walk them through their experiences. And honestly, the very worst I hear is, yes, people are being pulled out of their bed, and they don't always think that they agreed to this. I think on some level, they probably did. Usually, at some point, they realize that. But The very worst I hear is people being physically examined, and they don't like it, especially when they see a big instrument coming towards them, like a needle or something. And it causes a lot of fear. Um, But I don't have any accounts of what I would call outright sadistic behavior or anything like torture or ETs going, I want to hurt you. It's just not there. And what often happens is when you are in complete terror and you're being rendered unable to move and you're looking at these people who are so different from a normal human, as we would think of it, it causes you to make a judgment that I don't like this. This is bad. I'm terrified. This must be a negative experience. But when people get past that, this is when they start having much more positive experiences, and I see this all the time, uh, where they're taken down to the engine room, showing how the craft works, They're taken up to the top of the ship, and they'll turn all the walls transparent and say, look, there's earth, there's the moon, would you like to go there? Would you like to go to the control room? We can show you how to fly the craft. They start saying all these things. Um, Here's a good example. One lady I interviewed, her Stories in the book, Wondrous. She had the greys appear in her bedroom. And she did not feel any fear at all. And as a result, she wasn't paralyzed. And they allowed her to move around. And they said, we need to examine examine you. They put this little instrument up and down her body. And they ended up healing her of chronic back pain. And ignited the ability in her to heal others. And they gave her all these warnings about how we're destroying our planet, which is a very common theme. So there's a bell curve of encounters and how people react to them. But another person could have that same exact encounter. Gray's showing up and they just lose their minds. I think the problem is our own reaction. And when someone has a strong fear reaction, this is when you are paralyzed. This is when they will suppress your memory and often it will come back later. Uh, But yeah, some people do have a hard time with this and my heart goes out to them, but they're almost always returned as near as I can tell. They are not any worse for the wear. Often they are healed.
3: With the rewards from my free Kiesler Federal checking account, it's like I'm getting paid to dine out. Did I mention it's free? Kiesler Federal Credit Union. Helping our members
4: live extraordinary.
5: Hey there, I'm David Novak. I ran Taco Bell, KFC, and Pizza Hut. And like you, I'm always learning so I can be the best leader I can be. That's why I started How Leaders Lead, the first leader to leader podcast with CEOs from Adobe, Pepsi, and Home Depot, and greats like Tom Brady, Jim Nance, and Jack Nicholas. You'll learn how to win, how to bounce back, and how to lead. Listen to this insight from Stanley Druckenmiller, the greatest investor of all
3: time. If you love what you do, first of all, your work ethic is gonna be fantastic. You're just gonna be better at something if you enjoy it than if you don't enjoy it.
5: And this from Brian Cornell, the CEO of Target. I think you've gotta balance short-term with long-term. And you've gotta have a conviction that the things you're doing, your investments, your strategy, over time, you're making the right investments and right decisions for your brand and your business. So listen to How Leaders Lead wherever you listen to podcasts. It's the best podcast on leadership you'll ever listen to. Uh,
2: So, you know, I initially did come into this field thinking this is a terrible, horrible thing. They're kidnapping people against their will. They're experimenting on them, doing all these things without permission. But I don't think that's what's happening now. I really don't. I think this is, I and mean, let me put it this way. These are beings who are very advanced. They're very technologically advanced, and I think spiritually, morally advanced. If you have access to any location in the entire universe, you can pick any planet, are you really going to come down to little old Earth and torture and hurt people? They've been around here for millennia, for thousands of years. And we're still here. And the more cases I research, the more I realize, no, they're not here to hurt us. If I could just provide one more quick example. Sure. There's a gentleman from Gainesville, Florida, Jim Laws is his name, who had a hard time initially. And Gray's showed up again. And by this point, he's like, oh, here they are again. And he says, if you're going to take me, why don't you heal this hernia I have? And they said, and I quote, we know this condition that you speak of, and we will repair it. And they took this little handheld instrument, and they did. And he says, why are you contacting me? I want to know. And they said, we are interested in your genetic potential to live a long time. Direct quote. And he thought that was really interesting because his grandfather was 106 years old. His aunt had lived to 103 um, he had a lot of really um, long living people in his family. So, this I think shows another, you know, shows that each are not here to hurt us. There's a case from Artie Six Killer Clark where someone was taken on board. He was a bike racer. He came back, started winning every bike race. He was stronger and faster. They upgraded him. John Mack talks all about this health upgrades. So, I think people just need to learn to realize that they're not here to hurt us. And that's when you start getting the good stuff out of this.
1: Preston, we're going to be back (laughs) after the break here talking about your new book, Not From Here, Volume 4. And I agree with you, by the way. I don't think if the aliens wanted to take us over, that they would have waited longer than when our spears and swords were our top weapons. Spaced Out Radio continues with author Preston Dennett, right after this. All right, we are, uh, we are clear, my friend, and remember our YouTube audience can hear us, and let's see here, who else is joining us here? Uh, Apollo 11, thank you so much for that super chat, man, I really appreciate your love and support of what we do, my brother. Thank you so much. And uh, Smithy for kicking it off tonight. Super Chat is a wonderful way to support what we do on this show on a nightly basis. So thank you so much. You know, the only thing, like, when I'm taken, the only thing I don't like, Preston, is I don't like the fact that that gravitational pull that they give you when they're just about to take you. You feel that, like, it's almost like being on the Gravitron at some amusement park where you get sucked into them. I don't like that. That part bugs me. Really bugs
2: me. (laughs) Hey, I get it. Yeah. I I felt, you know, I was pulled onto a craft once, uh, which I haven't really talked about. (laughs) But uh, I know that feeling of being pulled up this energy beam type thing. It's very... I don't even know how to describe it. It's like electrical almost.
1: Here's one for you. The last time I was taken, and maybe Dolly can, uh, because I know she's in the chat room, and she can, between both you and her, you can figure it out. Had an alien gray come in, except he didn't have the black eyes. His eyes were like luminescent green, like the green we have going at the bottom of the of the screen here on the scroll. Yep. And he showed me three pictures of black triangles. One at night, one in the evening, and one in daytime. Except it wasn't black. It was it was like uh metallic silver. Oh Dolly All says, right. Dolly says yep, he wasn't wearing his lenses. Oh, great. So he didn't put his contacts on, so he couldn't see
2: <laughs> You know, Yeah, they often have blue, green eyes. When they're here on Earth, people usually see them with their dark eyes lenses on. Those are lenses, I believe, uh, because I had many people who are taken on board describe them as having very much, uh, usually blue eyes, sometimes green or some variation of that.
1: Excellent. Yeah, that one was kind of weird. I I didn't quite understand why they showed me the three black triangles.
2: That's something that does come up. I'm not fully understanding what's going on either. They will throw a lot of geometry at people. There was one guy from Washington who was taken on board, and he had a very long experience. At one point, they started throwing all these mathematical symbols and weird landscapes and what he described as advanced geometry at him, with lots of squares and diamonds and triangles and shapes. I think it's some form of information that they're giving to people. There was another case, Chuck Doyle from Florence, Kentucky, who they healed of a head cold. Same thing. They showed him all these weird landscapes, weird buildings, and then all these mathematical formulas were coming at him. A lot of people who have encounters come away with a real interest in quantum physics and mathematics and all sorts of weird subjects. So I think this is something to do with them transmitting information of some kind. That would definitely be a Dolly question.
1: (laughs) For sure, for sure.
2: You know, do you ever... um,
1: uh, What's... Yeah, I'll save this question for the show. I'll save that question for the show. But um, oh man, you guys just absolutely amaze me. Absolutely amaze me. You really do.
2: Well, that's awesome. Yeah. All right, we. Yeah, I get amazed by the people I speak with. Yeah, I just interviewed a guy from Canada who had a really interesting series of encounters. So that'll be out in one of my future books. Uh, but I'm just finishing up the transcribing of the interview and telling his writing his story down. It was different.
1: All right. Hey, guys, I'm putting into the link here. Our Facebook event page for our Las Vegas event, May 19th through 21st, 2023. Add your name to it. If you want to come to Vegas and join us for the SOR Fan Party, the second annual, it's right there. Click on the link today. Here we go. second half hour of Spaced Out Radio is now underway. My name is Dave Scott. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. We very much appreciate it. I want to remind you that if you've missed portions of the year of this show or others, check out our free archives by going to youtube.com forward slash Spaced Out Radio. Do old Davy the favor. Hit that subscribe button. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read Shirky Pooh's Newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. We continue on tonight with author Preston Dennett. com is his website. 30 novels in, and he just completed Volume 4, of Not From Here. This is a series, Preston, that you have really put all of your passion into regarding this. Explain Not From Here.
2: Yeah, well, what I found that, you know, I've written a bunch of articles for various magazines for over 35 years now, over 100 of them. And while some of these were excerpts from some of my books, a lot weren't. These were articles which would explore various patterns to UFO contact that often aren't sort of mainstream. They're a little more offbeat cases, you know, unknown avenues of research, things a lot of people haven't looked into before. So I realized that a lot of this research was not available to the public because these were in old magazines like UFO universe and unexplained encounters and just old magazines that aren't around anymore. I was just going through my boxes one day and digging them up. I'm like, oh, wow, these are some interesting articles that I wrote years ago. And they have new cases that apply to them. So I thought this would make a good series of books. And what I did was I took out each article and went through all the literature um, that had been published since then, all the cases I've researched, updated each one, and started putting them together. So each of these explore different aspects. So like in volume one, there was a chapter called extraterrestrial gardeners about people who've been taken on board and seen forests and plants and all the different cases where ETs have collected plants. Also alien zoos where people have seen all kinds of animals. Uh, In that first book, there was a chapter called phone call from an alien, (laughs) which sounds crazy, but I had, Interviewed this guy in upstate New York who, right before he was taken one evening, got a phone call on his cell phone. The cell phone did a tone that it cannot do, a ringtone. And he looked at it and said, unknown number. And he ignored it, but it kept ringing. And so he answered it. And it was this weird kind of metallic voice which said, The time has come. The time is close. We are coming. And it freaked him out because that night he had an encounter. And this had happened to him before. And when he told me that, I instantly thought of Betty you know, who Raymond Fowler investigated her case. She had that happen. And so did Debbie Jordan Cobble, Bud Hopkins star witness in the book Intruders. And there are other witnesses that I knew of. Jack Sarfati talked about that. i Whitley Strieber had an incident where he had a voice talk to him through his stereo. I have another case just like that in Colorado. (laughs) So, yeah, these are weird patterns of research, Um, like UFOs hovering over graveyards. I found 20 cases, not only hovering, but they're landing, uh, affecting the graves in some cases. There's humanoids being seen, all kinds of stuff over graveyards. This, uh, as well.
1: this symbol that I'm it's showing symbol. you on screen here, yeah. which looks like a diamond with with antlers, that came to me after a phone call from Olaf Phillips, and Olaf Phillips had no recollection on his phone that he made the call to me at three thirty three a.m.
2: <laughs> I'm telling you, there's high strangeness to this field that is often overlooked. And underreported. Uh, I know the nuts and bolts crowd really kind of shy away from anything that's got to do with the paranormal or spirituality or the psychic stuff, but it's absolutely connected to all this. And I think ignoring it is a huge mistake. So let's
1: get into your novel. You're you're now four into Not From Here. You know what were you looking for to make this novel a little bit different than the rest?
2: I wouldn't call it a novel, Dave. I mean, that yeah, means I re- <laughs> just saying.
1: Uh, I apologize. But,
2: <laughs> no worries. Um, well, you know, I still had articles that I wanted to publish. And, uh, and I try to, with each book, provide a broad spectrum of cases, ones that if someone were to pick up the book, they could still sort of get a pretty full understanding of the UFO phenomena. One that has everything from sightings to landings to face-to-face encounters. Uh, I like the cases that you know come from way back, all the way to the present day, occur all over the world, uh, and just sort of have a broad spectrum of different types of cases. And every now and then, I'll hit upon a topic. I'm like, mm, this has nobody's even heard of this sort of thing. Uh, Like one of the chapters in the book is the ET fertilizer connection. And uh, that always puzzled me because that came up with the Betty and Barney Hill case and was never solved. And I started like, you know, I am going to dive deep into this and see if I can pick up anything else on this. Because there was another very famous case involving an apparent fertilizer connection, the Gary T. Wilcox case in Tioga City, New York where ET seemed very interested in his farming and agriculture and actually asked for a bag of fertilizer. So yeah, I started digging deep and I found out some interesting things with that. So I, I just like, I think my specialty in a way is finding weird patterns in UFO research. Oh,
1: that- so
2: I have a chapter in car lift cases as well, which hasn't gotten a lot of attention. I
1: was just I was just about to get into that with you about people being in their vehicles and having their vehicles lifted off the ground. I mean, I don't know if there would be anything more scarier than having some co- kind of close encounter of the third kind where you're driving along and then all of a sudden your car dies and the next thing you know, you know, the shaking, the rattling much like an earthquake and your vehicle is now on the up-and-up going into a ship. I mean, I could just not imagine that.
2: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) There are some really strange cases of this kind. Uh, I think the first time I ran into that was, of course, the 1988 uh, case involving the Knowles family in Australia. Faye Knowles and her three sons were driving across the Nolarbar Plains. This is again, in 1988. Late at night, driving along, this is a very remote area, and they saw this car being chased by a UFO. It went right by them, and that really freaked them out. So they decided to pull a U turn and chase after this to see, you know, to investigate, which I think had unintended consequences because this UFO stopped chasing that car and came right for them. So they pulled another U turn and took off at like 100 miles an hour. But this thing followed them came right over their car actually landed on top of their car which is unheard of i don't know of another case quite like that but lifted it up six feet and carried it for some yards not too far and set it back down it's a very famous case so i won't get too into it it's been very well covered but that was the first i've heard of a car lift case And when I started investigating a wave of sightings over Topanga Canyon uh, in Southern California, there was a wave on June 14th, 1992, where the skies just opened up and filled with UFOs. I've got some 30 independent adult witnesses in about a dozen locations in this area who also saw stuff on the same night. And one was a couple, a man and a woman who called the police, because they had a craft following them. They became quite nervous. It was following them through the canyon. And then the next thing they know, it's swooping down about 50 feet over their car, sends down a cone-shaped beam of light and pulls them right up. Uh, They did have missing time. I think they were probably taken on board, but were set back down and quite frightened. And that was the second car lift case, but I didn't think much of it until I was writing. UFOs over in Nevada. And I ran into three cases in a row. And that's when I started collecting them. And the first was so strange, I would have discarded it if I hadn't heard of this before. This occurred in 1959. It's the earliest I could find. And that involved four teenagers who were driving outside of T- Tonopah, actually near Goldfield, Nevada. They got mired in the desert sand and decided, you know, they tried to dig themselves out couldn't do it, and decided one of them was going to have to walk back into the city in the morning. But Meanwhile, they just sat in their truck talking. The subject of UFOs came up, and I thought, wouldn't it be cool if we saw one? And it was a short time later that one did show up, came right over their truck, pulled it up out of the sand, and set it back on the road. And again, I thought, you know, I don't know. This is crazy. I'm not sure what to think of this. But that's when I started really scouring the literature. And boy, was I surprised at what I found. Over 25 some cases of this exact sort of thing.
1: Did all of them include missing time?
2: No, no. And that's what's so strange. I mean, here's a case, 1969, Barbara Smythe of Alberta, Canada. She's just driving along. Suddenly there's this craft over her car. She estimates it's about 40 feet in diameter, um, comes right over her car. She realizes her car is floating and she did not have missing time. This thing <laughs> carried her car for a full mile, just above the road, about two to four feet over the road. Some do have missing time, but not in her case. It does, she has no indication of it. Set her back down. Uh, Here's a case, 1973. This is one of the weirdest, I think, of all of these. This involved two couples who were at a party in Hattiesburg, uh, Mississippi, I think. And uh, they had left this party because they weren't having fun. Everyone was smoking and drinking, and they weren't into that. So they drove with another couple uh, down the street, and suddenly this object shows up. It's over their car, and it lifts it up, and sets it back down, lifts it up again, sets it back down. And after the third time, the wife is like, honey, what are you doing? <laughs> he takes his hands off the wheel. He's like, it's not me. <laughs> and that's when they look up and they see this object right over them. And it lifted up their car and set it down at least a half dozen times. So I don't know what's going on inside that.
5: Hey there, I'm David Novak. I ran Taco Bell, KFC, and Pizza Hut. And like you, I'm always learning so I can be the best leader I can be. That's why I started How Leaders Lead, the first leader-to-leader podcast with CEOs from Adobe, Pepsi, and Home Depot, and greats like Tom Brady, Jim Nance, and Jack Nicholas. You'll learn how to win, how to bounce back, and how to lead. Listen to this insight from Stanley Druckenmiller, the greatest investor of all time.
3: If you love what you do, First of all, your work ethic's going to be fantastic. You're just going to be better at something if you enjoy it than if you don't enjoy it.
5: And this from Brian Cornell, the CEO of Target. I think you've got to balance short-term with long-term. And you've got to have a conviction that the things you're doing, your investments, your strategy, over time, you're making the right investments and right decisions for your brand and your business. So listen to How Leaders Lead wherever you listen to podcasts. It's the best podcast on leadership you'll ever listen to
0: ditch the crowds this year we're not waiting until black friday get the best prices right now at ella flooring's better than black friday sale you'll get our best black friday prices early with up to 25 percent off over 300 floors including waterproof and hardwood special financing available now's the time to get floors that are in style and in your budget the better than black friday sale ends november 15th visit your local store or shop online at llflooring.com to save up to 25 percent your expert from inspiration to installation ll flooring
2: UFO, but I have to think this is some kind of display or intentional behavior of trying to get noticed. I did actually ask Dolly about this. She said, yeah, that's pretty much exactly what they're doing. It's a very dramatic way of announcing their presence.
1: Yeah, I mean, you think they'd be a little bit more polite, at least fill you up with a tank of gas or take you to your (laughs) destination of choice after that.
2: Yeah, well, there is a case in Argentina involving two car racers. This is one of Argentina's most famous cases, actually. And uh, they were actually dropped out of the car race due to car trouble and were heading back when one of these UFOs showed up and lifted their car up six feet off the ground and carried it for several miles. They're not sure how far, but definitely gave them a lift. So, talk about, you know, triple A UFO. <laughs> Uh, they carried this car for a long time. Uh, they were not taken. They have no indication of that. So and, and there's a couple of cases. I mean, it, it just gets weirder than that. And
1: we don't know if they were just doing it to check the car's extended warranty policies or anything like that. No, Nothing like that. No. Oh, no, darn no. It.
2: Darn it. I mean, get this case. Clara Wincher is the witness. 1978. She's driving through Union, Missouri. And unknown to her, about a half dozen people have called the police. I think there were six different calls coming in saying that a UFO is hovering over this highway. This is downtown, right? So it's a pretty urban area. And the next thing she knows, this object is over her car. And it doesn't lift it all the way up. It lifts up only the back wheels. So she's at like a 45-degree angle steering the car still as it's pushing her on front wheels only several hundred yards down the road. Uh, She could see the circle of light in front of her, the cement, because she couldn't really see up. She was, you know, at a 45-degree angle. And uh, there's a couple of cases like that where they lift you up on the side. Like, you know, stunt drivers can drive on two wheels. Couple of cases of that as well, so I'm not sh- entirely sure that this isn't just teenage aliens out for a joyride, and you know, say, "Hey, let's scare some humans," because yeah, it often is very traumatic for people.
1: I notice you have a couple on the list that I've personally experienced, and that is a punch of gray in the face, and when abductees levitate. I've had both ah. of those, and I would love to get into the whole levitating side because I remember one time, I'll lead into it this way with my story here for you. I remember one time, I most of my abductions start off with a dream, and I knew this was a dream because it was the dead of winter, and in my dream, I was wearing shorts and a T-shirt, walking around my driveway talking to my friend in North Carolina. And off in the distance, it was very warm. Excuse me. And off in the distance, I had seen this UFO. And I remember saying to my friend on the phone, I have to go because I don't want to be taken today. And as I'm walking towards my carport to go underneath my carport towards my door, I see the UFO starting to fly towards my house. And as it's flying towards my house, I notice that I'm walking up into the air. And all of a sudden, I'm face-to-face with my patio, which is above my carport. Then I'm face-to-face with the top of my roof. And I kept looking up at the craft. I said, damn it, I keep telling you I didn't want to go today. I didn't want to go today. And the next thing I know, Preston, I wake up. I am three feet above my bed. And I get dropped right into my bed. My partner, who's sound asleep beside me, she gets the wrath. As I fall into bed, I flail my hands backwards and smack her across the back. And she's like, what the Sam hell are you doing? And I'm like, like, sorry, I, I just got back. So I got dropped back into bed. I mean, have you heard a lot of stories of similar accounts?
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's two different things going on here. I mean, they will lift you up, pull you through your roof, up into the the craft. I know I interviewed Melinda Leslie. She's fairly well-known in this field. She had an experience where they lifted her up, dropped her down. She almost hit the ground, and they lifted her up again, dropped her down again, and finally pulled her in the craft after doing this several times and told her, you needed to get over your fear of heights. (laughs) Uh, It was a hell of a method to do that. Uh, But yeah, they will, I mean, one guy, he ran out of his, he knew the UFOs were out there and was trying to run to school, ran out his front door and whoosh, right up into the craft. So this is, they will pull you up and often they will drop you into bed. This is them doing it, right? But there's another category where people are actually levitating on their own. Natural human levitation, which is an ability we do have. I wrote a book called Human Levitation. documents some 300 cases from every culture across our planet, stretching back like 2,000 years. Uh, This is a real phenomena, a real ability that is often attributed to, you know, nuns and monks and yogis and medicine men and holy people of all stripes. But normal people as well. And definitely contactees. And the first time I heard about it was from Bud Hopkins, who had two cases of children who said that they spontaneously levitated following an encounter. And Bud Hopkins kind of thought that they were perhaps being taken. And they're like, no, no, this just spontaneously happened. And then Whitley Strieber wrote about this as well. He said one evening, he's just floating around his room. I thought, huh, is this a thing? And I didn't think much of it until I heard uh, Stephen Greer, actually, in his book, describing the same thing. After he had a very friendly onboard experience as a teenager, he was set down, went off the craft, and started walking home and started instead taking leaping bounds where he was physically levitating and would later have another levitation experience. So I dug into the literature because I immediately thought of a case from Jacques Vallée, which you probably heard of. It's Dr. X from France, the Pyrenees. He woke up one evening. There was a UFO outside his house. Long story short, it struck him with a beam of light and healed him of an axe wound on his foot and partial paralysis. Uh, he had been partially paralyzed from injuries received in the Algerian war years earlier. And I had investigated that case for, you know, I did a book on healings. Uh, but following this, in the weeks following this encounter, he had two spontaneous levitation episodes just floated right up. So, and it really quite frightened him because he couldn't control it. And I'd found more cases. I mean, I interviewed a guy named Maurice. He and his little sister were taken, set back down in their house. They went down to the basement to play and found that they could float and spent the entire afternoon just bouncing around in their living room or their basement, uh, floating around. The effect faded quickly. They never could do it again. But not the only case I have. There's a lot. I mean, Dolly talks about this. She had a levitation experience when she was a very young girl. Uh, Twice, she floated up into the top shelf of a closet. Later, as a pre-teenager and a young teenager, she would climb trees and would jump from branch to branch and found herself floating a few times, jumping off the roof of the house and floating down like a leaf. And I found more cases. A contactee told me that her mother freaked out one day when she went to pick her up in her crib And she was just floating above the crib, like two or three feet. Uh, Ray Hernandez, who I'm sure you've probably heard of. Yes. um, I told him about this. He's like, oh, I'm really glad you brought that up. Because his friend, Albert Fernandez, a contactee from Florida, had that experience as well. His wife woke up and there he was, just like you described, floating (laughs) two or three feet above the bed. She freaked out. She screamed. She like, ah, and he you know, woke up and floated down. Took me a while to figure out what's going on here, but I think I figured it out, actually.
1: <laughs> so the floating thing, as we got about 45 seconds left, I mean, wh- what is that about? Is it about gently putting us back, or is it about just saying, okay, we're done with you now, and, you know, experience something else on this weirdness?
2: No, no, it's about waking up of a person's psychic abilities we have the ability to do this and this is one of the et agendas absolutely 100 percent. they want people to learn telepathy healing precognition clairvoyance psychic reading mediumship astral travel past life recall and levitation this is a natural human talent that they are igniting in people
1: very interesting preston we got you for another hour here on Spaced Out Radio. And what a great first hour indeed. And we're going to continue on learning about Preston's new book, Not From Here, Volume 4. It can be found on Amazon. Just type in Preston Dennett or go to com to his website. You can get the book there. Preston Dennett, one of the best in UFO and aliens, up next on Hour 2. All right, my friend, we are clear. We're going to turn it over to Dirty Filth here, and that way he can uh, play around with his cartoons. If you're new here, we got a lot of new faces. Thank you so much. Give us a thumbs up, thumbs down, uh, whatever you feel we need. Don't forget to hit subscribe as we are continually growing this channel. Uh, We are a radio show. We are not a podcast, so we have to time everything out with our radio stations. So that is what we are doing right now. Preston's on a break. I mean, Preston, if you want, you can chat in with Dirty Filth about what he's drawing. It looks like some sort of game show. Uh, But uh, otherwise, you can take a break. We'll be about five minutes here, guys.
6: Oops, I was on mute. What the hell. Hi, Preston. How's your night going so far?
2: It's going pretty good. Yeah, love the drawing. I've been getting into art myself. My sister-in-law does a lot of the illustrations for my cases, but she's very busy, so sometimes I illustrate it myself. It's a lot of fun. I have big respect for people who have the patience to do art because it's
6: not easy. Well, usually when you're pretty good at something, it it, it's kind of easy. It just kind of goes through you, and then when you don't have the natural gift for it, like like to be able to play guitar, but I can't do that. So I always think that that's extreme talent, and everyone says that. Drawing cartoons is talent, but I just feel it's just a second nature. So I'm rambling here. I apologize.
2: <laughs> hey, if you're doing something you enjoy, definitely makes it easier. Definitely. But watercolors. I've tried working with watercolors. They're the hardest. Pen and ink. That's my medium.
6: Or pencil. pen and ink is good. <laughs> I enjoy watercolor because it just, to be honest, it feels like it's cheating because you can just kind of put the color wherever you want it to go, and it just kind of makes the human eyeball work itself. It does all the work. The human eyeball does all the work with the watercolor because I can't explain it. It's basically magic, is what it is. So <laughs> that's the best way to explain it. Watercolor is just really. It's interesting because you can. It's it's kind of like oil, but. You have a sort of a finite time to it, unlike oil paints. But then again, I'm not well versed in oil paints. I just enjoy my watercolors. Because, like I said, it feels like it's cheating. Like you can get a lot done. And it looks nice. And it's the exact color and everything that I'm looking for.
2: Well, you make it look easy. It's It's not that easy. I've watched my sister-in-law do it. she's really good. she's been doing it since she was a little kid, and uh, it's funny when she's I sit her down with a you know person who's having experiences and she talks to them and works like with a like a police sketch artist sort of forensically to try to get their experience exactly. and it's really amazing when she's successful because the person who's had the experience their eyes start to go wide, and as the picture gets completed, they tremble a little bit, and often they'll break out into tears, like, oh my god, It's exactly what I saw. It's amazing. Now, if only we could bring cameras on board UFOs, we wouldn't have yeah, to Yeah, definitely.
6: Every time they bring someone on board, they got the security guys there. Make sure you grab his cell phone. Right. They probably got some kind of thing like that.
2: Yeah, I I don't know any cases of anyone who's photographed the inside of a UFO. It's not going to happen. I talked to Dolly about that. There's reasons.
6: <laughs> it's all like you can steal a pen or something off the front desk. Because <laughs> I'm not going to lie, if I was on a UFO, I'd totally steal a pen if it was on the front desk. I get my pocket. No,
2: no, don't even try. <laughs> they- <laughs> They will kick you out. The first guy who was on you know, one of the first recorded cases, Antonio Villas-Boas, tried to take this clock-like thing. It's not a clock, but it looked like one. They pushed him over, <laughs> took it back, and escorted him right out. You might get away with it if you ask for something, because people have been given little things like stones or crystals or you know biological materials of various kinds, food or... Seeds or stuff like that.
6: Okay, now you say food, I'm totally asking for some alien sour candies of some sort.
2: <laughs> I know of cases where people got fruit. There was, of course, the very famous case of the of what was his name? Joe Simonton, who got alien pancakes. Not kidding, actually.
6: Alien got... Pancakes? <laughs> yeah. Alien. Was it in the morning or afternoon? <laughs>
1: <laughs> no,
0: the, the alien. Now, the
1: aliens weren't so feeding him breakfast for dinner, were they? Because those are the type of aliens I'm not going to trust. Uh,
2: no, I think it was in the afternoon, so brunch. But he actually did uh, get a couple of hol- a hold of these, and the FAA was very interested, or not, what do you call it? The Food and Drug Administration, FDA, uh, did analyze these, as did the Air Force. All right. And, uh,
1: Hold on, guys, because we are going to return here in about 15 seconds. Thank you, Smithy, Apollo, and Jeff for the Super Chats. It's a wonderful way to support what we do on this station. And, of course, I'm putting our Facebook group here for Vegas, May 19th to 21st. We'd love to have you there.
5: You're listening to Spaced Out Radio with Dave Scott. Follow Dave on Twitter
2: at Spaced Out Radio. And on Facebook, Spaced Out Radio Show.
1: Hour number two of Spaced Out Radio is now underway. Thank you so much for tuning us in. We very much appreciate burning your listening ears wherever you are on this beautiful planet we call Earth. Hello to everyone listening in on our terrestrial affiliates around North America. Digitally on Odyssey Radio, talk stream Live, and KPNL. All of our archives are free. Join us at youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. Do old Davy the favor, hit that subscribe button. The desert clam has set the password for tonight in the SOR Space Travelers Club. Harmonometer, Harmonometer is your password. Use it wisely, space travelers. As the clam sets the password each and every night right here on Spaced Out Radio. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read Shirky Pooh's Newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. We continue on tonight with our good friend Preston Dennett. Preston com is his website. You can get all of his, of his books there or on Amazon. We're talking about his latest book, Not From Here, Volume 4. I mean, this is just an incredible book. Definitely a series you want to add to your UFO collection. Preston, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Hey, always a pleasure.
1: Now, right before the break, we were talking about uh, when abductees levitate but i got to get into this one with uh, i punched a gray in the face i mean look i know humans are violent at times you know but i mean in the in the stages of fear that many people would be having during these encounters i i i got to assume there's a lot of these situations happening where people have taken shots and swung at their extraterrestrial
2: counterparts. Oh, yeah. Yeah, people have shot at UFOs. I did a chapter in an earlier volume, UFO shootouts, uh, which doesn't usually go well. It doesn't hurt the UFO, but sometimes they will beam you back. And, yeah, there are a number of cases where, pe- you know, the fight or flight reaction takes hold. And you can't really fight, so people just jump up and lash out. Of course, that's what happened to Travis Walton in his very famous case where he was taken on board, thought at first he was in a hospital until he kind of gets his bearings, looks up and sees the greys, or what appear to be the greys, jumps up and starts going crazy, pulls an instrument off a table and lashes out and actually physically pushes one of them over. And he said they were very light, um, they were kind of spongy in texture, And one just fell right over. Of course, that did quickly clear them out of the room. Uh, And that was the first case I heard like that. I thought, wow, you know, that's got to be unique. Because by this point, I was picking up every book I could find. Uh, And uh, one of my first cases involved a lady I'll call Wendy. She doesn't want her real name used. Uh, She started out with a lot of fear with her encounters. Uh, She kept waking up and fighting them around her bed. She was having missing time. Uh, She didn't like it at all. She set up little tacks around her bed to try to stop them, Um, hung dishes and stuff on the doors to catch them.
3: Did you know headlights dim over time?
2: You can lose up to 50
3: feet of visibility before burnout. Stop in to replace yours at Advance Auto Parts, your dependable source for auto lighting today. Snag a new pair of Sylvania Silver Star Ultra Bulbs and brighten up those darker fall and winter nights. Switch today, see better tonight. And don't forget to replace your wiper blades and change your oil to ensure you're prepared to hit the road. Only at Advance Auto Parts and participating CarQuest locations. See store for details.
4: This is how we advance. Membership fees apply after free trial, cancel anytime.
0: Can I be real with you for a second? That goal you have to exercise and eat better, you really can do it, but nobody is gonna do it for you. Nobody is gonna push you out of bed to work out. Nobody is gonna make you eat better. But here's the thing, nobody has to, because you can do it, if you have the right tools and a community that cares about helping you get results. And that's us, Beachbody. Go to Beachbody.com to claim your free membership and start feeling great.
2: Everything she could to stop this from going on, and they kept coming. And uh, one time she woke up and found herself floating out of her house, up into a craft. She was above her her home, surrounded by greys. And the greys looked at her really sharply because they were surprised that she had woken up. She said, put me back right now. And they did. And this is when she started to sort of lose her fear. She wasn't there yet. She would later experience healings and all kinds of really cool stuff. But it was around this time she woke up one day, or one evening rather, and the greys were around her bed. And she jumped out of bed and kicked one in the neck. And its neck snapped. And, uh, when she She, she, you know, this gray fell to the ground. The others were really shocked, quickly scooped him up and left through the walls. And uh, she felt really bad afterwards, actually. And this is when she really started to think about what was happening with her and what were they trying to do and so forth. But that was another case where, you know, someone basically assaulted a gray, uh, which, you know, I would add here that I don't have any cases of Grays hitting people or any type of E.T. for that matter, you know, p- pulling a punch. We do. Um, people will have violent reactions. And so when I heard her case, I started keeping an eye out for other cases like that. And I started getting my own. I have at least three others, and I found several others in the literature as well.
1: Goodness. Goodness. That- that's just incredible. I mean, the fact that, you know, humans aren't afraid to, you know, use violence against them, you know, I from what I had learned, and please correct me if I'm wrong, the grays are a relatively weak type of species. They are they're not and they use their own ways of of really taking advantage of us, if I could use that term, by knocking us out through maybe its infrasound or, or whatever it may be. You know, I mean, how do they usually react when we become violent against them?
2: Uh, they will step back. They will, you know, they're yeah, they are physically uh, weaker than we are. And that's, I think, what these cases do show. They can be quite fragile. And this is one of the reasons that they will render a person unable to move because they do have that ability. They're mentally very strong, spiritually. So they can basically stop you in your tracks if you're becoming too dangerous. And uh, so that's how they'll usually react, or either that or just leave. Uh, But there's a number of cases like this. I mean, there was a case in 2010, a lady from... Uh, Virginia, she's had a number of encounters. Uh, she's been followed home by UFOs, but uh, one evening she woke up and there were three grays surrounding her bed, and she fought with them, had basically a fist fight and she says they were very rubbery in texture when she you know made contact with them, which is how other people describe it, like hitting a bean bag or a marshmallow, and they just go right over but she was basically blacked out and woke up the next morning and knew it wasn't a dream because she was quite sore and her room was in complete disarray. The lamp was knocked over, her covers were off the bed, and so forth. But I think one of the more interesting cases I have personally involved a guy from England who had contact his whole life. He's never really liked it. Uh, It's not what he would call... You know, benevolent experience, though some of his experiences have been very benevolent, uh, he doesn't like it. He feels it's a violation. And one day he woke up to go to the bathroom. He had to walk downstairs and go all across the house. His bathroom was unfortunately on the far side of the house from the bedroom. And as he goes downstairs, he sees this gray standing in his living room. And uh, this had happened before, and he got knocked out. So this time he ran right up to the gray and grabbed it around the neck. And he says he couldn't believe it was happening, but this gray just kind of stood there, and its arms started going around like windmills, and it was screaming in his head, let go, let go, get off, get off me, let go. And he said it felt cold, firm, and leathery in texture. And he didn't know what to do because he had, you know, He was in control at this point. Was tables turned. And the next thing he knows, someone came up from behind him, knocked him out, and he woke up later in the morning in bed. Uh, At this point, they had lost the ability to paralyze him for some reason. They just couldn't do it. He could always sense when they're coming because this weird energy would fill the room. And one evening, not long after this, He wakes up because he can sense them in the room. So he waits until they're standing right next to the bed, pulls the covers off, jumps up, and smacks it in the face. And he says they look like cute little grays when they're standing there. But when he hit this thing, it opened its mouth wide and hissed at him, and it revealed all these tiny little teeth. And I asked him, you know, what did the teeth look like? He said they were tiny, sharp, little pointed teeth. I'm like, yep, I've heard that from other people. I asked Dolly about that. She's like, yeah, they do have small little sharp teeth, a lot of them. So that was the last time he was able to do that. Uh, But his experiences, I mean, that's a good example of a case that feels negative, but at the same time has positive elements. So I asked him about that. I'm like, have you gotten anything good out of this? he says well i'm actually really good at out-of-body experiences i have them nightly i've been all over the place and he has constant precognition both he and his wife Uh, once he was taken on board and he woke up and he was standing between two grays and they were taking him home he could see the landscape and he's just watching the view and enjoying it for a little while finally decides he's going to announce his you know that he's awake Uh, He says out loud, all right, lads, really loud. And the greys jerked, and one of them jumped up and started running in circles in a complete panic. And he says, don't worry, I won't hurt you. You don't need to fear. I will not hurt you. The other grey turned around and says, you promise? He said, yeah, I'm not going to hurt you. And the gray said, okay, we've never had anyone wake up before. This is the first time. And he asked, well, why are you taking me? And they said, well, we're not allowed to say. And he says, will you let me remember? And they said, no, we can't, we're not allowed. But they did, they just, he, he feels that they allowed him to remember this incident because he reacted so well. So yeah, his case is a little bit of a mixed bag, but he definitely hit one in the face and said it just, his fist went right in all spongy and marshmallowy and rubbery.
1: I remember one time when I was taken and I woke up and I was standing and there were five of them around. They were about five and a half, six feet tall. And I remember hearing the one say, oh crap, he's awake. He's awake. He's awake. And there was one standing right in front of me and they were holding down my wrists but they're not strong. And I, I'm i left-handed. And I got my left hand free and I punched the one right in the chest in front of me. And it went flying back. And it felt like... Uh, how would you put it? Almost rubbery. Like a soft rubber uh, of... I. I I don't know how to explain it. The next thing I know, I was out. I was right back out again. And woke up the next day. And that's the only snippet I have from that is hitting that one right in the chest.
2: It's a good example of exactly what I'm talking about. I think in a lot of cases, these are the smaller AI, uh, which is why they feel somewhat rubbery because In effect, they are partially, you know, not fully biological as we would think of it. I can't say for sure because, you know, each case is unique. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't there. (laughs) But, yeah, I keep hearing about this. There was one guy I interviewed. His name is Tim. He's a sports instructor, a former bouncer, you know, a strong guy. And uh, had lifelong experiences, was having missing time. took him a while to put things together. And uh, once had an experience where he basically woke up on board a UFO. He's on the table laying there and uh, there's nobody around. And his paralysis is lifting. And then then suddenly he has freedom of movement. So he jumps off the table. He's looking around. He's wondering what to do when the greys come rushing in. And he panicked and immediately just punched one down. And another one came and he punched that one. And there was about six or seven instantly surrounding him. And so he's just thrashing around, boom, 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 until one of them came around behind and managed to mentally take over him. And he blacked out. Next thing he knows, it's morning, he's waking up, and his arm has got a big old uh, sort of bruise on it or a cut. And so he knew for sure this was absolutely a physical experience. Took a while for his arm to heal. And that's another case of people who are getting a little bit violent with the grays. But again, they don't hurt, you know, punch you back. They will just render you paralyzed and say, okay, this person's having a strong fear reaction. Time to take them home.
1: Before we go any further, I do have some questions from our audience here, if you don't mind. And yeah, sure. Let's start off with. Midwest Night Watchers here. Do all aliens have the ability to space travel, or are some species not as advanced as others?
2: That's a hard question for me to ask. Uh, I can speculate, certainly. I think the ones that we are seeing, absolutely, because they're getting here. But I think it's absolutely logical to assume that there are beings out there who are still planet-bound. And, uh, you know, I asked Dolly about this actually, because here we are pretty much limited to earth and to a certain extent, perhaps the moon or Mars. Uh, And she said, yeah, there are other species out there who are like us, unevolved, and just not at that point yet to have attained space travel. But yeah, the people who are coming here uh, absolutely have the ability to do space travel and uh I'm sure that there are others that are just not involved to that point.
1: All right, let's continue okay. continue on with some audience questions. Joe here is asking, are there any reports of somebody biting a grain? Do they bleed? What do they taste like?
2: <laughs> it's funny you should say that because yeah, I do have one case. I did, have not interviewed her formally. Uh she doesn't really want to be interviewed but I have spoken with her about one aspect of her case, which did fit into uh, some of my research. And she did allow me to interview her on that, but she did have an experience where uh, E.T. came and she bit its finger and she said it tasted rubbery. No surprise there, because that's the texture people uh, have. And oh, come to think of it, I have a second case like that, which I just researched a guy from... Europe, who also had that experience. I'd have to go back over my notes because I'm still in the process of you know, researching his case. But, yeah, he bit one as well. Um, he had a very strong fear reaction. Uh, I don't think they bled in either case. Uh, so, so I couldn't answer that question. I don't know that I have any cases of Bray's bleeding, but uh, I th- I think Dolly would probably be good to ask that because I do think she I remember her telling me that yes, they do bleed. Uh, even the smaller AI grays have some sort of a circulatory system, but the taller ones, the basically, you know, ones that are like us, the human genetics do, yes.
1: All right, let's continue on here as we continue on. Heather has a question for you. Are there different types of grays?
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's kind of a trick question because the human template is universal. We're, that's what we see basically with anyone who's encountering any type of ET, whether it's human looking, praying mantis, little blue beings, tall whites, or grays. They're all humanoid humans, basically from the same source, the same original template with lots of you know, genetic variations, much like we have between humans on earth. And I think that's what we see with grays. There are short little grays with like three fingers. There's tall mid-sized grays uh, who usually have four fingers, very tall grays. Uh, But yeah, some people describe them as having rounder eyes or pale pink skin, yellowish, greenish, bluish skin gray skin, white skin. I think we're not dealing so much with different species as just different ancestries, much like we have on Earth with you know people who are Asian or Latino or Pacific Islander or Mesoamerican, this sort of thing. So I'm not sure I would call them different species so much, but there are the little AI grays. There are the tall grays or mid-sized grays and tall grays and some have two three fingers some have four and i think some have five as well or even six in some cases like tall whites Uh, but i'm not sure i would call them different species
1: okay let's continue on Preston. as we got about two and a half minutes back to Midwest here, do aliens abduct other alien species for their research, do you think?
2: Um, Well, I'm going to say yes without using the term abduction, because I don't think that's really accurate, and a lot of experiencers or contactees don't like that term. Um, I know some feel like that is accurate. I am not sure it is. But yeah, they will examine people from different planets. I did ask Dolly about this. She says, yes, that does happen. They will take other people on board and guide them and heal them and show them the craft and, you know, give them whatever messages they need. Yes, that does happen. Animals as well.
1: Can you imagine if they accidentally yeah. dropped off a new species of animals here without us even knowing? That would be incredible. <laughs> incredible. All right, let's go to Kelly here. What do they primarily eat? You were talking about something re-the FDA and didn't finish.
2: Oh, yeah, that was the case of Joe Simonton and the alien pancakes. That involved human-looking aliens who apparently ate very much like us. And I didn't have a whole lot of information. There was a few cases where people had seen wafers and fruit and drinks, kind of fruit drinks and stuff like that. Uh, Dolly, being a fully conscious contactee, we got quite into it, and she said, oh, yeah, they eat pretty much like we do, a lot of protein, uh, fish, chicken, this sort of thing, um, but other stuff, uh, just natural foods, uh, fruits, vegetables, nuts, you name it. Uh, She says the grays that she is interacting with are largely protein eaters. Uh, which fits into you know their dental work, the sharp teeth. But yeah, I've heard very little about that from contactees. That's why I really enjoyed Dolly's case, because I d- didn't have a lot of information about that. There are some cases where we've had crash retrievals, where they found food tablets and wafer bars, according to whistleblowers. Uh, so there's not a whole lot of information on there, but it's near... Well, there's another guy now that comes to mind. He was a Navy medic. He was taken on board by praying mantis, and they told he asked them, "What do you eat?" They said, "Fruits and vegetables and fish." He's like, "You're not going to eat me, are you?" And They said, "No, you watch too many horror movies." We, have uh-huh. no- we
1: got another half an hour with Preston Dennett here. On Spaced Out Radio, his new book, Not From Here, Volume 4, can be found on Amazon or Preston Dennett.Weekly.com. Your questions and more experiences from Not From Here when we return on Spaced Out Radio. This show is flying on by. Flying on by. (laughs) It always does. Uh, Hello, legendary Jim Goodall, who will be appearing at our Vegas event May 19th through 21st, 2023 for our second annual Las Vegas fan party. I'm going to put the event right up here in our chat room on YouTube that if you're interested in going or want to come with us, uh, just let us know. It's nice and simple. Just let us know. We want everybody there. We want everybody there. Dirty Filth is going to be there. And many others that you've seen us interview on this show over the years. We'll gather a list here soon. Steam Train Mark, thank you for the super chat. I'll get to your question when we return. Uh, Steam Train Mark, if you could let us know, am I alive tomorrow in the future? And Preston as well. We'd greatly appreciate it since you're in Australia, and you're like 18 hours ahead, so it's tomorrow for you. <laughs> Science Bob will be there in Vegas. Yes, he will. Pono, how you doing? Anonymous Rex, a.k.a. The, our resident Tim Bit, little Timmy Senor, good to see you. Tim Senor will be in Vegas. Mr. Eon, the voice of the gods right there. How are you, buddy? what a great night great crowd 275 of you 113 thumbs up can we get a few more if you don't mind it really helps with our algorithms and if you're new here Tuning in.
3: Did you know headlights dim over time? You can lose up to 50 feet of visibility before burnout. Stop in to replace yours at Advanced Auto Parts, your dependable source for auto lighting today. Snag a new pair of Sylvania Silver Star Ultra Bulbs and brighten up those darker fall and winter nights. Switch today, see better tonight. And don't forget to replace your wiper blades and change your oil to ensure you're prepared to hit the road. Only at Advanced Auto Parts and participating CarQuest locations. See store for details.
1: This is how we advance.
3: absolutely anybody could be like mary be like mary log on to chumbocasino.com and play for free now no purchase necessary void were prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details the voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner
1: to listen to Preston, and this is your first time here welcome to spaced out radio we are here seven days a week for your listening entertainment and we'd love it if you hit subscribe we are encroaching On 20,000 subscribers. We're hoping to get that by the end of the year. But we can't do it unless you hit subscribe as well. So we would appreciate it if you do. And uh, check us on out. Ring the bell because we are here seven days a week. And uh, thank you Pam Smith for the super sticker. Very much appreciate that. (coughs) Excuse me. As I get to uh, deal with uh, snow here. I hope none of you are snowed out at the beginning of November. I really hope not. Uh, Dirty Filth isn't yet. Do you have snow yet, Filth? Anytime.
6: Yes, there is snow.
1: Oh, you got snow too? and
6: my gazebo collapse was so just a mess.
1: Oh no, so what do you got there for us tonight, man? Let's take a look.
6: Well, we're almost done here.
1: We've got a gray reptilian, a light being, and a blue avian. They are well, not from it. here. Did I get it?
6: You win the prize, Dave. <laughs>
1: Yes. Yes.
6: You know, Preston, if you can get me your mailing address, I'll send this to you. Oh, wow. I'll stick it in a, on your wall and tell people about it.
2: <laughs> awesome. Yeah. I will text it to Dave. If That works.
1: That would work. I don't mind passing on uh, stuff for dirty filth like that. All right. Where'd you go there? Uh, Steam train, Mark. There it is. All right. We got 18 seconds. Thank you to Pam, Mark, Jeff, Apollo, Smithy, Jason Gibbons. Thank you so much for the super chat. It's a wonderful way to support what we do on this show on a nightly basis. Head to our group. Learn about Vegas. We want to see you there. Here we go. That's the halfway point of Spaced Out Radio tonight. Thank you so much for tuning us in. We really do appreciate earning your listening ears wherever you are on this beautiful planet we call Earth. Reminder to all of you that all of our archives are free. Join us at youtube.com forward slash Spaced Out Radio. Do old Davy the favor. Hit that subscribe button. Our website, SpacedOutRadio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read Shirky Pooh's Newswire. Check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. For the final time tonight, our good friend Preston Dennett is here talking about his latest book, Not From Here, Volume 4. This is a book that can be found on Amazon or his website, Preston com if you want to check it on out. And Preston, thank you so much for always being a great friend of this show and coming on anytime we ask you, man.
2: Hey, it's an honor. Thank you.
1: Questions from our audience as they continue because they are building up here. And let's go to Jimmy here,
2: new listener.
1: Do they use anesthetic or mental telepathy to knock
2: us out? Mental telepathy, for sure. No, they don't use anesthetic. They don't need it. In fact, we as human beings, there are a lot of people who do not use anesthetic for you know dental work and things like that. They just basically use self-hypnosis and are able to, you know, basically block out the pain. Uh, and that's how they do it. They use mental ability. So, no, I have no reports of them numbing someone up with drugs or anything like that. They don't need to do that. They can block the pain. Betty Hill, when she was having a pregnancy test, or what they believe was a pregnancy test, she did initially feel some pain. And one of the greys put his hand on her forehead, and she says the pain went away. And afterwards, as she was being escorted off the craft, he apologized to her. He said, I'm sorry about that. I did not mean to cause you pain. Uh, So their pain does come up every now and then, and uh, they will usually take it right away. Not always. They didn't for Gary in England. He says they just stuck a needle right in, and it was very painful. But, no, they did not use anesthetic.
1: Do they have a sense of
2: pain? I think so. Um, I think there's sometimes... Um, some questions about how well they understand emotions, particularly in some of the early cases. Uh, Like with Whitley Streber, when he was taken on board, he's screaming his butt off, and they're like, what can we do to help you stop screaming? Uh, So I wonder just, you know, how much they realize how deeply fear and, you know, pain and stuff can affect us. There was another guy, a case from Constance Clear in Texas, who was taken on board. And he was greeted by a female gray. She's like, my name is Nelda. I'm the highest ranking female on this ship. I just wanted to thank you for working with us. And uh, aren't you happy? And he said, no, I'm mad as hell. And she seemed puzzled by that. She said, what's mad? What's hell? And he went through this whole explanation of it. So I think, you know, they're people. They're learning about us as we're learning about them. Uh, but I think absolutely you know do understand how people you know when someone's experiencing pain, they will relieve it, yeah,
1: see one of the things I don't understand Preston is if they've been coming for thousands of years, and I think you and I both agree on that th- because the evidence uh and, and you know the recordings from uh, from hieroglyphs to to what we see uh since writing took over the world and We've read and we we could track this stuff. After taking so many people, why in the heck are they still doing this? This is what doesn't make sense to me. I mean, they've taken millions, millions. Granted, some haven't returned. But I mean, at some point, don't they get what they've been looking for?
2: Um, I'm not sure that's the right way to look at it. Um, What we're dealing with now is unprecedented in a lot of ways, because before, say, the modern age of UFOs in 1947, yes, there were onboard experiences, but nowhere near at the level we have since 1947, coinciding exactly with the atomic age, coinciding exactly with the basic (laughs) destruction of our environment, the weakening of our magnetic field, Gamma radiation coming in. They're taking people on board and basically holding them up, protecting their DNA, healing them. This is not them, you know, needing something as much as it is trying to help us out. That's what I think is honestly going on here. Uh, they're not doing any special projects of creating a hybrid race to take over our planet at all. That's not it. It's them coming down because we're at a point where we're facing an existential crisis and we need help. And short of taking over the planet and doing everything for us, which they can't do for a number of reasons, which they've explained to contactees, they've said flat out, we can't do that. There's karmic laws. You have to solve your own problems. You know, Taking over and healing everybody is not going to help us. We have to be responsible for our own actions and uh, they know that so i think what they're doing is just helping to the degree that they can and that involves taking a lot of people on board this is unprecedented in human history we don't have any records of millions of people being taken on board like it's been happening over the last what 75 years or so
1: makes sense all right let's move on to another question from our audience here and this one comes from space exposure have you heard any reports of the taller hooded nose grays or hooked nose grays
2: um well you do get a lot of descriptions i don't hear a lot of cases of ets with big noses (laughs) for whatever reason Uh, certainly there's so many different types i will say that most of the people I talked to describe some variation of the grays and usually their noses are quite small. Uh, but there are cases of ETs who do have larger noses, human looking ETs, um, short blue humanoids. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's a couple of people I've talked to who've seen very tall beings who did have larger noses. There was a guy from gosh, uh, Ontario, Canada, who had an encounter on Wasiga beach uh, with like nine to 10 foot tall beings who he said, yeah, had very large eyes, um, somewhat large noses, thick lips, very human looking in a lot of ways, except their skin was very thick and wrinkly and the face was much too large. They were far too tall to be human. As far as grays with big noses, no, I can't say I have any cases personally like that nor. Can I think of any offhand? I'm not going to say there aren't any, <laughs> because I bet you if I you know dug in, I could probably pull a couple out there. But no, that's definitely not what I normally hear.
1: All right, let's continue on here with Preston Dennett. Let's go to Midwest here. Do you think our secret space program have taken aliens from their planets for research?
2: Um, do I think our secret space program no. has taken aliens from from their planet for research? No, Um, I am not sure that there is a secret space program in the way that people are describing. Certainly not people living on Mars and things like this. Uh, I have no evidence of that really at all. So uh, no, I could not say yes to that.
1: All right, let's All
2: right. continue
1: on here with Preston Dennett here. Let's go to Brown Dwarf, who is asking, you mentioned some eat uh, lots of protein. Would that have anything to do with mutilations and abductions of cows or people?
2: <laughs> no, 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 no. Remember, we're dealing with a species that's highly advanced and it does not need earth for resources. And if you look into the abduction phenomena, and I have, because I wrote UFOs over Colorado and New Mexico, which are the hardest-hit states in the United States. And I think abduction—you know the cattle mutes are happening, but it's not the ETs who are doing it. I honestly think it's government. And it's not just me. It's some of the major uh, mutilation researchers absolutely agree with this. I would point to Gabe Valdez, who's really one of the leaders in this field, or in that aspect of it. And he ultimately decided it was government. And I know people are going to say, well, UFOs are showing up in some of these cases. Well, we have reverse engineered craft to a certain degree. And uh, I think probably that's what's going on here. No, uh, I don't think that they're responsible for the mutilations. And no, they don't eat people. (laughs) I have zero evidence of that.
1: Come on, you know we want this to be happening. You know, as sick as individuals as we are, we want this to be happening, Preston.
2: It's just fear-based thinking. You know, we're, we as a species are just terrified all the time. We've been trained to fear. You know, look at the media. They just love a scary story. And one thing I would point out is my lab's military abductions is real. I don't think this explains it. The majority of cases at all, but I know of people who had very negative experiences, and I don't think it was ETs at all. I think this is a carefully orchestrated program by our secret governments, call them what you will, the cabal, the military-industrial complex, on very high levels within our military, who are putting forth this alien threat narrative and using all they've got to convince people that ETs are bad, and that includes this cattle mutilation stuff. Uh, no, I don't think the ETs are doing it. and They do not eat people. <laughs> no, We're far too uh, gamey, I think. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's one way to look at it. <sighs> Definitely
1: one way to look at it right there. All right, let's get to one more question here. And then uh, we are going to continue on talking with your book. This one came from steam train Mark in Australia, who still hasn't let us know if you and I are alive tomorrow in the future where he's listening from Preston. Do you have any more information on the propulsion system that was patented in one of the cases you looked into?
2: Oh, I think you're talking about the John long case, which was initially investigated or still is really by a, Yvonne Smith, Um, Jesse and John Long, brothers who were taken on board, and one of them who has a high school education became very interested in magnetic motors and free energy and ended up patenting a number of devices along these lines. I'm not sure how far he's gotten, but I did write about this in the last chapter of Volume 3 of Not From Here of cases of people who were taken to the engine room and told in very great detail how the ETs work with their crafts, how they build their uh, free motors. And some of them have gotten some really excellent information and tried to build them to varying degrees of success. And some have filed patents. One is Virgil Atkinson. Uh, I don't know that he's had success with this. But this is a problem because there is a suppression of technology like the electric car was quashed for years and years by the oil industry. And I think there are people who have probably made some real great strides in terms of anti-gravity and this sort of thing. Uh, but that you know gets slammed down hard. That's what happened with John Long. He was basically com- contacted uh, by some aspect of the government, which told him, don't tell anyone about what you've invented. We may have to called his top secret. So he ended up dividing his invention in half and patenting first one half and then the other so that it wouldn't cause problems with secrecy. But no, I don't, I'm still kind of collecting more cases like that. Uh, I don't have any more information on that particular case, but there's more of them coming out for sure. One of these days, someone's going to be successful. I sure hope so.
1: Absolutely wonderful. Uh, Getting back to your your brand new book, Not From Here, Volume 4, I mean, you go through a magnitude of different scenarios as you you, uh, write this. I mean, how do you choose the topics that you're running with in this book? I mean, whether it's hitting aliens or punching aliens or vehicles being levitated, I mean, how do
2: you do it? How do you choose? (laughs) <laughs> well, I just pick, you know, it's whatever question I have. Because if, if, uh, there was, well, one chapter is about UFOs over airports. Because LAX has had a series of encounters over a period of decades where the UFOs just show up and hover over LAX. And if I thought, you know, this is weird. Why are they doing this? Is this happening at other airports? And then, of course, there was the very famous... 2006 case over O'Hare Airport, where a UFO hovered over one of the um, control towers there for like 20 minutes and was seen by pilots on the ground and in the air, passengers, baggage handlers, was photographed, allegedly, and was very nearly covered up by airport officials, United Airlines. But of course, thanks to a mainstream journalist, uh, he got a hold of some of the baggage handlers, who leaked the story to him, and finally uh, it came out. I started looking into it because I thought of other cases. I knew that there was airports in England, Heathrow, that had a very close encounter. And so I started digging into the literature, and I was shocked to find out that it's not just hovering. They are landing, and there's a good dozen cases, because I collected like 40 or 50 I mean, I almost wrote a book on just this. But I'm like, you know what? No, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but yeah, cases where people are seeing humanoids, uh, you know, these objects landing on the runways and humanoids coming out. So that was just kind of doing this for my own interest to figure out what's going on here. Another example is 4th of July cases. Because I had a number of people telling me they saw UFOs on the 4th of July. And I just didn't want to hear it because I'm thinking firecracker. (laughs) That's what you're seeing. It's the worst day to see a UFO is the 4th of July, because I think that's going to be everyone's go-to. That and April 1st, of course, because who's going to believe you if you see a UFO on April Fool's Day? But after getting a number of cases, I'm like, you know, I'm going to look into this. And Dave, I got the biggest shock because what I did was I looked at New Fork, the National UFO Reporting Center, Mufon yes. Mutual UFO Network. Yes. I dug into their databases, and Fourth of July is a huge spike in reports. You know, those two databases get about you know ten reports a day average. Fourth of July, it's fifty to a hundred. I'm like, oh, what is going on here? Are these firecrackers? Um, some I think are party lanterns. You know, sky lanterns, a little candle in a paper balloon that goes up and looks pretty impressive. But I have case after case after case of these... Cr-
3: Did you know headlights dim over time? You can lose up to 50 feet of visibility before burnout. Stop in to replace yours at Advance Auto Parts, your dependable source for auto lighting today. Snag a new pair of Sylvania Silver Star Ultra Bulbs and brighten up those darker fall and winter nights. Switch today, see better tonight. And don't forget to replace your wiper blades and change your oil to ensure you're prepared to hit the road. Only at Advance Auto Parts and participating CarQuest locations. See store for details.
5: This is how we advance.
3: Did you know headlights dim over time? You can lose up to 50 feet of visibility before burnout. Stop in to replace yours at Advance Auto Parts, your dependable source for auto lighting today. Snag a new pair of Sylvania Silver Star Ultra Bulbs and brighten up those darker fall and winter nights. Switch today, see better tonight. And don't forget to replace your wiper blades and change your oil to ensure you're prepared to hit the road. Only at Advance Auto Parts and participating CarQuest locations. See store for
2: details. This is how we advance. Craft coming down with portholes people seeing figures inside coming down to watch the fireworks show <laughs> leaving after it's done it's crazy this is a really good day to see a ufo well i think what's going on here is it's a ce5 technique you can call them down with lights
1: well i can tell but you that- this about about 10 years ago I had one of the most incredible experiences, Preston. I was flying on July 3rd, uh, going to visit my friends in Pennsylvania. And I was, uh, you know, we flew out of Toronto, flew from Vancouver to Toronto, and then over Lake Ontario, over Buffalo, and then right down to, to Pittsburgh. And the entire night, the entire flight, it was just over about 97 minutes, I got to watch the fireworks from the airplane. Oh wow. And if you've never ever experienced that, ladies and gentlemen, I will tell you right now, you want to see one of the most beautiful things ever. Go for a flight on the 3rd or 4th of July and watch the fireworks from from above them, from inside a plane. It is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in the sky. And so the fact that aliens are coming down to watch this. Oh yes. Uh, very much. I could understand that. and Believe that, uh, by the way, Preston, uh, steam train, Mark in Australia has confirmed you and I are alive tomorrow. We are alive oh, tomorrow. God. We made it another day. My friend, we got about, <laughs> we got about three and a half minutes here. Thank you, Mark, by the way, for that. Uh, always good confirmation. Uh, We've got about three and a half minutes here, Preston, uh, before we have to uh, say goodnight to you. And, you know, out of everything that you have learned from your brand new novel and doing four of these not-from-here books, okay, and everything that you have learned over time, I probably should have asked you this question about ten minutes ago, but... (laughs) How do you feel about today's state of ufology, considering where we're going and
2: what we're not being told? I'm disappointed. I'm very disappointed. I'm glad that there's been some movement in official circles in terms of our government saying, ah, they're real, but they're still lying. The congressional hearings were a joke. I mean, I don't trust them. I don't think we should trust them. I'm very encouraged by people's interest in this subject. It's becoming really popular. It's going mainstream. I think people really are beginning to wake up. So I'm very much encouraged by that. But I do not think our governments, and I'm speaking of all of them, are ever going to come clean on this subject. I just don't. So I'm really disappointed. Uh, I think they could do a lot better. How much does this
1: motivate you and colleagues of yourself to continue to push for these these stories these experiences from everyday people who may not ever get their say in public
2: yeah it's a big part of my motivation um if this was already being taught in schools and i mean we should have open official contact we should all be living in peace and harmony not in division and you know, struggling just to survive. And uh, this should not be the way it is. And I think this is part of the reason. This cover-up, people might say, oh, UFOs don't affect me. I think they do. If we had open official contact, if we all knew that we were not alone, we would wake up to our own natural abilities to do telepathy. I mean, it would be a completely different world. We'd live in peace and harmony. We could have a lot of our diseases solved, clean up the pollution. We progress very quickly, not only technologically, but spiritually. This is a big deal. Um, This is why one of the reasons, certainly that I continue to do this research. And I will. I think this is a very important subject. I can't stress that enough. It's huge. I want to go on board. I think we should all have open official contact with ETs we're just not going to get there at the the rate we're going right now. Um, It's going to take a revolution.
1: Well, I mean, hopefully that people do continue to wake up and they are waking up one day at a time here to the truth of what's really going on. And as I state to our audience all the time, we're not in a disclosure movement by any sense. We're in a confirmation movement that they do exist and there is a huge difference between the two. But Preston, you just keep up your your great work. I know we'll be talking to you again in 2023 uh, when you get your next novel out, whatever that one will be. But we, we love you around here. Thank you and Dolly for coming on Space Out Radio this year a number of times and, and being very good friends of this show. We absolutely will always open the doors for you, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. Preston Dennett, everybody. Not from here, volume four, can be found on Amazon and on his website, PrestonDennett.weebly.com. Coming up next, we're gonna to head to the swamp. Then Little Timmy Senor is here with the UFO reports. Great job, Preston. Thank you so much, man. Really appreciate hey, you. So
2: much. You got it. Anytime. Talk to you soon.
1: Do me a favor. Give Dolly a big hug from us. I know she's been listening all night, but we absolutely love and adore her, too. And uh, both of you take care and and have a safe holiday season as well, okay? Sure will. Thanks, Dave. All right. Take care. Precedent, everybody. We're going to go to Dirty Filth here. Uh, Where's Dirty here? There he is. See what he's uh, created. And I will be back here momentarily. Enjoy your break. We'll be back uh, running here in just a couple of minutes, everyone.
6: Let me get this a little bit more centered so you don't see the other cartoon to confuse yourself. Look at that. Hello, bomber. What's well, the drawing? I kind of had a different idea for a drawing, but I can put that one off into the other drawing side. What the Frank Blob? What are you doing? Job's being weird. Oh, but this one uh, turned out good nonetheless, anyways. Got your standard gray alien. Reptilian, Light Bean, Blue Avian. Star You know, in places like Japan and Saskatchewan, they don't do things like time change. They're way in the future. Excuse me, blub. Since Dave left me here, I might as well scribble for dryer drawing or something. Maybe a UFO abducting a cow. That's always good. Maybe you just ask much. More hair on there and his classic chin, and some hair and Sasquatch legs. Horus whiskey shows up to crumpify everything. And abduction at nighttime, just because Sasquatch was going to get himself a salmon, just floating around leisurely, and he's going to scoop it, but chorus aliens that abduct him, unbelievable. What you working on now, there, dirty? I don't know. I just decided to start drawing a random cartoon here while everyone was well, you're a doing their thing with you.
1: Random cartoon kind of guy. hey timmy our uh tim our uh swamp dwellers only three and a half minutes okay all right look at you bringing out the big salty paintbrush there
6: yeah, and it's not even watercolor paper either. Unbelievable. It's right into the old art book.
1: Yeah.
6: I'll use this packing paper one day to crumple it up and cram it into somebody's drawing and send it to him.
1: Yeah. That's nice. Hey, you know, we should, should we, have? we should tell people with a minute to go here about our Las Vegas fan party that we're going to be having. It's our second annual. It's at the Golden Nugget in Las Vegas, Nevada, May 19th through 21st. I'm going to put the link up in our chat room here if I can find it. And so bear with me here for two seconds, and I will get that for you. But if you're interested in going, we want to see you there. Definitely want to see you there. It's a lot of fun you're going to meet a bunch of really cool people, a bunch of people that we have had on this uh show here. And uh it's a blast. We had we had such a blast last year. Dirty Filth is going to be there. I'm going to be there. All of our spaced out radio team is going to be there. And uh it's going to be just a great time for everybody to hang on out and talk about the woo that is was and will be. So come join us in Las Vegas.
3: Yeah.
2: Would you like to connect with us? Head to spacedoutradio.com
3: for all your latest show info. Now, back to Dave Scott and SOR.
1: Third and final hour of Spaced Out Radio is now underway. Thank you so much for joining us. We very much appreciate it. Earning your listening ears wherever you are on this beautiful planet we call Earth. Hello to everyone listening in on our terrestrial affiliates around North America, digitally on Odyssey Radio, TalkStream Live, and KPNL. All of our archives are free. Join us at youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. Do old Davy the favor, hit that subscribe button. The Desert Clam has set the password for tonight in the SOR Space Travelers Club, Harmonometer. Harmonometer is your password. Use it wisely, space travelers, as the clam sets the password each and every night right here on Spaced Out Radio. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read Shirky Pooh's Newswire. Check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio. Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. It is time once again where we head to the swamp. Our resident swamp dweller takes us on another spooky journey.
4: Back in 2013, I was visiting my cousins at their house in the small town of Buena Vista, Virginia. I would go there fairly often, as it was only two hours away from my own house. This wasn't your average house, though. It was on a 50-acre plantation built in 1742. All around the house were flat fields followed by dense sections of woods, at the foot of the Blue Ridge Mountains. You can hike up from the backyard to the Appalachian Trail, which I often did. Because of how old the house was, it came with a big book telling its story. Lots of history there, but I'll let you know about one thing that happened there in particular. During the Civil War, right past the wood line, a local militia got into a 45 minute skirmish with Iroquois Native Americans from Delaware, traveling through the area. As a result, 17 natives and eight militiamen were killed in that backyard. If you want to know more, look up the Balcony Downs Massacre you'll understand why this is relevant in just a few minutes. I was sleeping in my cousin's room with whom I am very close. She was asleep in another room that night with my younger sister. Her room was the slave room. This was a very old plantation home and at one time they unfortunately owned slaves. The room is square and it's the only room between the bottom and top floor. There was a small wooden spiral staircase going up into the room in the corner across from where I was sleeping and in front of the bed was a three- or four-step staircase going to the top floor. Her bed was in the back right corner, if you were standing on those stairs, and the spiral staircase was in the tight left corner about 10 feet over. I was 12 years old at the time, so I always saw things that looked like figures, and they always ended up being a towel or something different. Finally, because of my previous experiences, I turned my flashlight on, and what I saw made my heart drop, I saw her look like a little Native American girl, in a long dress, with very long straight black hair. She was standing there, not moving, just observing me. This scared me so bad, I just hid under my covers, too terrified to yell for anyone. I was afraid doing so would anger her or something. I remember looking up what to do if you see a ghost while under blankets. I was petrified. There was no other way to put it. I don't think I've ever been so afraid in my entire life. After about an hour, I eventually did fall asleep from exhaustion, but only for a little while. When I awoke again, I decided to peep out of my covers and check again, and there she was, in the same place still staring at me. I then took a picture of her, but my phone screen showed no one or anything in that spot. This confirmed to me that she had to be a spirit. I hid under my covers until morning. She was gone once the sun appeared. I talked to my cousin shortly after, saying I saw a ghost in her room. She then asked which one I had seen, describing the exact girl to me, and then she described a tall black figure who stood at the foot of her bed. She told me that most nights she sees them, but I was the first to see one other than her. I asked why she didn't move rooms and why she stayed there, and she did eventually, but she said that she'd just gotten used to it. I asked her about this over Snapchat the other day, and she said, yeah, that house is definitely off and I'm never going back there again.
1: Well, a short but sweet one by our good friend, the Swamp Dweller, here on Spaced Out Radio. The Swamp Dweller comes in to kick off hour number three of Spaced Out Radio every Monday through Friday night. We love the Swamp Dweller. If you love his stories, you can literally go to his YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash Swamp Dweller Reads, and listen to thousands of these types of stories for free Yeah, just hit him on up, hit subscribe on his channel. He's just over 280,000 subscribers. And uh, we like to think we play a little bit of part in that, for sure, for sure. So go check it on out. From the swamp to the skies, it is time for Tim Sinor's UFO Report. Nobody's
3: going to know. They're going to know.
1: The big man, we call him the Tim Bit around here. Little Timmy Senor, hanging on out. Tim, I got some bad news for you right now, man. Bad news. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Our, our local Tim Hortons has closed for a month for renovations. Oh. I know.
7: What will we do?
1: I, I hear you. I hear you. I don't know what to do. And I'm out of oatmeal, and I got to figure out what I'm doing for breakfast now. Got to figure that out.
7: Got to always have a plan B. It's what I tell everybody. Always have a plan B.
1: Yeah, right now there is no plan B. I don't know. Maybe I'll have to go to Subway or something to uh, get a breakfast uh, sub or something like that. I don't know. There you go. Don't know. Don't know. There you go. Nonetheless, we have three very interesting stories tonight that are going to be... uh, you know, highly debated, highly contested. And you know my uh, anger and loathing for NASA right now. But I want to start off with this one. Because as NASA tries to play us for fools by saying they don't know anything about unidentified flying objects, and they are just, just as interested as the rest of us, In learning about all this stuff, well, another one of their astronauts has just come out publicly stating that while he was in space, he saw something very, very unearthly. Let's start here, my friend, because I know I'm going to blow a gasket over this one. I know that, uh, you know, we're going to get into some... uh, Highly debatable subjects here. And I just feel like going for it. Let's just do it.
7: Right on. And thanks for having me. And um thanks, SOR Chat. And thanks, Dirty Filth. That's some great artwork you're rocking down there. And so that's right. So back in 2005, while on his final space mission, former NASA astronaut Dr. Leroy Chow encountered a strange event That left him both perplexed and shocked. And so Dr. Chow left NASA in December of 2005 after working there for 15 years. And he participated in four space missions, including spacewalks, which most recently headed up the Expedition 10 on board the International Space Station as commander and NASA science officer. Over 36 hours of his 229 days in space were spent performing extravehicular activity, EVA, or spacewalks. And so Dr. Chow describes having to perform a spacewalk in order to, to complete one of the experiments being carried out on board. And he was serving at the time the International Space Station's commander after being there for six and a half months, During a semi-routine spacewalk with cosmonaut Saliz Sharipov, the two were installing navigation antennas. They were 230 miles above Earth, traveling at over 17,000 miles per hour, where something unusual caught Chow's eye. And so Chow recalled that In a quote here, it's clearly not natural phenomenon. I saw some lights that seemed to be in a line, and it was almost like an upside-down check mark. And I saw them fly by, and I thought it was awfully strange. Uh, Unfortunately, his partner Sharapov was facing in the other direction and was unable to actually notice the lights. And so he goes on to explain in this quote that you're very aware, hyper-aware even, when you're doing a spacewalk as you're in a pretty dangerous situation. It's exciting on many levels and also stressful because you don't want to mess up your last one. And he continues to say, if that tether becomes undone, you're just going to float away from the station. And it's pretty much curtains. So anyways, to continue his sighting, he describes this in his quote, that suddenly I look up and see these five lights and they seem to fly fly by quickly. There were four in a line and my heart just leapt up in my throat and they just flew by the station, but one of them is slightly offset from the others, said the aerospace historian. And so it's revealed then that uh, Chow then called mission control where former NASA engineer James Oberg was observing. And so he continues in his explanation of the conversation with uh, Mr. Oberg that he reported that he's just spotted five lights. And when you see something in space, the possibility always is that it can bite you and that your, your life might be on the line. And so he continues on to uh, describe his feelings after recording this and trying to report this. And unfortunately, it did turn out that they tried to cover this up with an explanation. Even though Chow ended up accepting the explanation, they tried to uh, actually call this out as being uh, something mundane. And they considered it to be a ground-based, potentially a ground-based activity, being that it was over the waters of South America. They considered the possibility of commercial fishing fleets using huge arrays of lights to fish at night.
1: Come on. Come on. You know, this is where I go ballistic. Okay? When they treat us like this. Look, these these fine men and women who go into space, we're not, they're not dummies like you and I, Tim. Okay? They're not dummies like you and I. They have spent millions upon millions, I think it's around thirty five to forty million dollars in training per astronaut pending on the mission all right, and to sit there and literally insult one of your top commanders of the international Space Station, which is a lot bigger job than just going up in space on a rocket for three, four days and then coming down. Okay. You're insulting this man's integrity. You're insulting this man's honesty. You're insulting this man's credibility. You're insulting this man's credentials as an astronaut that you spent 30 to $40 million in training on. And to sit there and say, its lights from the ocean, 283 miles south or down or towards Earth, whatever you want to say, that is unconscionable. And this is a prime example of everything we have been saying on this show. Do not promote and cheer on NASA for talking about UFOs or allegedly getting into the game. This is another pure example of where they are lying and they are taking advantage of the public for whatever reason they choose to hide their secrets the last 60 years. Tim, if if this story was any other story on this planet, this would be front page news. But because it's a conspiracy theory, because it's NASA, because it's UFOs and aliens, it doesn't get the coverage. And shame on the media for that. Shame on the media for not asking NASA and Bill Nelson, you know, that pompous zealot on top, for what this really is. You're telling me you spent $35? million dollars or whatever the cost is to train this guy and he's not going to be able to tell the the difference between lights in the ocean and lights that are in a formation flying through space come on you have to think yeah. that we are pretty bloody dumb in order for us to believe that. And the sad part about it is there are many people on this planet who are going to buy that story of ocean lights. I would I would take the opinion of that guy, that astronaut, Mr. Chow right there, okay? And I would say you need to stand up and you need to come forward to the media, to Fox News, to Tucker Carlson, to anybody at CNN, to anybody at NBC, ABC, CBS, and call them out for what they are. And NASA is a bunch of hypocrites and liars from the top on down. And nobody, there's not a person on this planet who should be supporting NASA in this cause because they're just a bunch of liars.
7: And this is a continuing theme that we are seeing now, um, where anytime we see UFOs being represented strongly with a great case, with evidence perhaps, or a great witness, be it something from history, from uh, an astronaut or a pilot like we're seeing currently over the Pacific, we always get the debunker's case involved in the, somewhere in the story. And I don't know whether I agree with that or not, because I feel like any reader of any UFO story is going to want to hear the best possible explanation so that they could potentially rule it out themselves. So, for example, let me just kind of make what I'm trying to say clear here. When I read this article with Dr. Chow and what he witnessed. And then I hear their best explanation. It's very easy for me to write off their best explanation as not being what he is describing. So that leads me to believe what he's seeing is something else, along with what he believed was something else. So in this particular case, I'm kind of glad they gave me their best debunkable explanation, because to me, it's very apparent that this was just their best possible explanation well, obviously not what he was seeing.
1: And let me tell you something, James Oberg knows this show. Okay? And for James Oberg, who's never been to space, who's who just doesn't believe, okay? He is he's like the old school Mick West, okay, that has an answer for everything but has no experience to actually explain any of his debunking. All right? When you're an astronaut as you stated right off the bat, you are highly trained, you are highly aware of what your surroundings are because if anything goes wrong, you're dead. Okay? Never mind UFOs. If you have a little a little flaw in your safety strap, that could all of a sudden at 17,000 miles an hour come apart very easily. All it takes is one little nick from a little piece of space junk, and boom, you are gone, floating into the never-never land until you run out of oxygen and you can't breathe anymore. That's the truth of it. And you're telling me that you're going to question somebody who, their only job is to be a skeptic in life, is going to question somebody who has been trained Millions of dollars in training and visualization and hyper uh, training on on stress tests and has be, become the best of the best of the best, and you're going to tell him he's lying? You're just going to make something up? Man, I got a bridge to sell you in the middle of Nevada if you believe that story. People, if we want to grow this field and we want the public to understand that UFOs are real, they are here, they are being seen, we have to stop calling out things like this, okay? or Pardon me, we have to continue to call things out like this.
7: Do you think, however, it's important to have a representation from a a skeptical mind to give us a a best option? If it's not um, something phenomenal, it could be this, and this is our best guess, so that the public is able to make a decision? Or do you think that 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 should be left out of it because the witness has given their testimony and that should just be good enough? Because...
1: Look, everything... I'm pretty
7: cool with that, actually. I mean, I I don't think we need to debunk things if it's... You've got a witness testimony and some kind of corroboration of... Or just a witness. I mean, come on. I'm sorry. Any astronaut told me a story, I 100% believe them. What is... All they're doing is telling you something that, you know, they're a witness. I think that's good enough for this case. I don't think that it needs to have the debunk...
1: No, it doesn't you know, include it. it doesn't. But here's the other thing, Tim. This goes on to all this UFO activism. We see it all over Twitter. All these all these people who forget how to think. Okay? They forget how to think because they're so passionate about the subject, they don't care how it comes out as long as it comes out. They don't care that we're getting the dirty underwear version of ufology. Hey, it's coming out. Hey, NASA's involved. Hey, Bill Nelson, the head of NASA, speaking UFOs, let's cheer him on. Let's wave the NASA flag. 60 years of cover-up. 60, and they know it, and they're wasting money on, on useless studies about UFOs when all they have to do is crack open a file. Pay me a hundred thousand dollars. I'll open up your files for a hundred grand. Absolutely. Do you suppose, I will. and
7: do you suppose that that's just damage control, something like this, where the astronauts talking about it, and so this is their damage control on a topic like that?
1: No, I don't think it's that. I think it's embarrassment. I think it's embarrassment, and yeah, probably a little damage control on that because they have to shut it up. They can't. Let it be known that they are part of the narrative. They can't let it be known that they've been covering up this subject for the last 60 plus years. Remember, Gemini, Apollo, the shuttle missions, and now every private uh, rocket going on up has been followed by UFOs and documented. Documented. Never mind our landings on the moon, Never mind just flying around in space. Everything has been documented with UFOs around. And until we wake up to that, NASA is part of the UFO lie. When we return with Tim Sinor on on the UFO report, we are going to get to an ex-CIA officer telling some serious truth about interdimensionals, and then... Uh, We'll see where it goes from there. Government, pro and anti-UFOs. Alright, we're clear. Robert McCoy, welcome to SOR Chat. I'm serious, people. Okay? I'm serious. You have to start literally going at NASA. And, And... you know what? You could call them liars. You could call them whatever you want. Be polite about it. Okay? Real activism isn't supporting bullshit. Pardon my language. All right? Real activism isn't supporting uh the cause of, well, yay, they're talking about it. Yay! We're 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 you know, we're cheering on NASA because they're doing studies real activism is putting the is putting the marshmallow to the fire and roasting it and saying tell us what you know stop lying i don't you you know what over the time i've done this show tim the one word that just grates me is when people are called liars okay you're lying about your experience I'll see it in the chat room because we'll get people in the chat room who just don't believe certain experiencers. R. Keith Andrews gets a lot of it, okay? Samantha Mowat gets a lot of it, all right? You're lying about that. You're lying about that. That never happened. Where are these people when it comes to NASA, okay? And I'll tell you, the word liar grates my nerves, Tim, because there is a, a, a point of truth to what these people have experienced. It has traumatized them either positively and or negatively to the point where they don't know what is going on, why this is happening to them. I don't know what the hell happened to me eight times that I know of. All right. But when you get, right. but when you get a group like NASA, and all you have to do is go see Darcy Weir's latest documentary, okay, which which is called, let me grab it here for you guys. Uh, where's Darcy? Called Secret Space UFOs: NASA's First Missions. Okay, I did the voiceovers for that. And I'm not telling you to go see it because I'm involved with it. But what I'm telling you to go see it is because Darcy has acquired the, the audio tapes from astronauts and from NASA pilots, test pilots, about having their experiences. And you can hear the people at ground control saying, go to the emergency line, go to the emergency line. And the astronauts are flipping out because they've got some lights going on that they can't explain, and they're flipping out, wondering what the hell is going on. Right? Yet these morons at Never a Straight Answer are are lying. And that's what I don't like about it. I hate it when we call people liars here. We, we're willing to call a Samantha Moat or an R. Keith Andrews or any experiencer a liar because we don't believe their story. Yet when NASA comes in, because they're supposed to be nuts and bolts, we're cheering them on. We're waving the flag, even though we've caught them lying. We've caught them lying. And that's what sucks. That's what sucks is because we're we're not allowed to have our cake and eat it too. It's just
7: yeah. Crap. And it it's also frustrating when there are books being written on how to search out and record data on the phenomenon and yet NASA with billions riding behind it is unable to go out and capture a little bit of data. I mean, Hell, before I even spent a dime on this, I photographed it. Um, And ever since I started my personal project, I've been able to capture it with relatively low budget gear. Um, I don't understand why it's such a big question mark when anyone from NASA needs to just go outside and look up. Anyone needs to at this point. I mean, it's pretty obvious. I mean, I don't know. It, it is extremely frustrating that this is the turn that things have taken, especially when we'd seen such a recent positive push. You know, um, but again, I, I think this is just that ebb and flow. You know, but we're st- getting sucked back in, and you see people scrambling right now for UFO report information and updates Here we go, and Tim. things like Here we that. Go. But.
1: 3rd. We're heading for home tonight in Spaced Out Radio. I'm a fired up Dave Scott. I am one fired up cracker tonight. Light me up and I will explode. Just keep the Bic lighters away. Thank you to everyone tuning us in. And remember, all of our archives are free at youtube.com forward slash Spaced Out Radio. Do old Davy the favor. Hit that subscribe button. Our website is SpacedOutRadio.com. We have a plethora of features for you rock out to bumblefoot read shirky poos newswire check out our swag as well follow us on twitter at spaced out radio instagram at spaced out radio show and on tiktok at spaced out radio we continue on with the ufo report tim senor is here tim there's a story about interdimensionals and the cia let's get to it
7: Thanks so much for having me on tonight, Dave. It's great to be here. And so a few months ago, former CIA officer Jim Semivan made a shocking statement saying, quote, there's a whole other reality that surrounds us that we're simply just don't have the ability to see or interact with. And so he had worked with the CIA for 25 years before joining Tom DeLonge's To The Stars Academy with other ex-government insiders. The To The Stars Academy is an organization that claims to have been responsible for the release of now-famous Pentagon UFO videos. He described how he joined the CIA and acquired years of specialized training in spycraft. Since the CIA operates under the need-to-know premise, Semivan was not specifically informed of any UFO-related study, despite the fact that CIA analyst Kit Green was well-known for exploring the paranormal. And so, according to Semivan, there is, and I quote here, there is a force out there that can control our environment, that can put thoughts into our heads. And in fact, Semivan has previously stated that UFOs sighted by the Navy are from another world. He made shocking assertions regarding unidentified flying objects in in an interview with James Indianoli, saying that the occurrence can be startling, especially to children, And so in his further quote, when we started the TTSA organization, we had decisions and discussions about all this all the time. Are we sure we want to disclose this information? I mean, you know, we are all going to scare eight to 10 year olds, right? And so continuing this quote, he had some friends who were like, oh, my daughter wants to know all about UFOs. Can we talk to you about that? And Semivan said, no, and I'm not going to talk to you about that. What I'm going to tell her, these 10 to 11-year-olds, is could such a reality kill them psychologically for the rest of their lives? Potentially. And so, yes, there is a force out there that can control our environment and potentially put thoughts into our heads that they can lie to you and deceive you and that you're not in control of your own life. So to tell this to a 12-year-old with succinct Um, while succinct, Semivan suggests that the rabbit hole goes much deeper. And when it comes to the UFO phenomenon, it can be extremely confusing. And so, moreover, in his recent podcast appearance, he has fiercely said that non-human intelligence is living with humans on Earth. And there's an entity out there that's some kind of non-human intelligence that's living with us right here on our planet. And so he continues to speak on his own experiences with alien-like beings that started happening to him and his wife in their bedroom as far back as 1990. And going on coast-to-coast AM, he insisted that the event was real and that it was not uh, something that he made up or was even in a dream state. The couple thereafter had intermittent poltergeist activity in their home, and more recently he even claimed that he had seen a hooded figure that resembled the Death Eater from Harry Potter series, who persat, perhaps materialized to herald the death of a close friend of his. And so Mr. Semivan said that he agreed with the statement made by Colm Kelleher, a researcher re- from Skimwalker Ranch, that the UFO phenomenon is much more than just a mechanical parts and devices because of the psych- psychic and biological factors also contributing to the events. And so here he's also willing to consider some of these metamaterials being unusual, using um, tools to discover the isotope ratios, and this can somehow be connected to the UFOs. And he thinks that they mentioned that the phenomenon is a natural part of our universe and that we're living in it and we just may not recognize it. So what are your thoughts with some of these deeply controversial insights coming from an ex-CIA officer?
1: Well, let's just be honest. Uh, When you're CIA, you never leave. Let's also remember that Jimmy Semivan comes from a place of Tom DeLong, of uh, Peter Lavenda, and many others who come at this from a very negative light. We just heard Preston Dennett talk about uh, over the last two hours how in all the cases that he has covered over his 30 years of research and 30 no- or books that he has written on the subject, there's been extremely few real negative cases that he has actually covered. I think Jim is uh, very sold to his patriotism. I think Jim Semivan is very sold to his his belief that there is something nefarious with the extraterrestrial intelligences that are out there. Hey, he knows a lot more than you and I do. Let's give him credit for that. Okay, I would love to interview him. We've been trying to get him on here for an interview uh, it's it's very difficult in order to do so. Okay? He doesn't make time for a lot of people. But let's also remember that Tom DeLong is the one who went on stage with uh, Joe Rogan in the JRE experience and was saying that we got to put nuclear weapons up in space as quickly as possible because our nukes scare the hell out of these aliens that are coming down here. And we gotta arm space a s a p to uh to you know protect ourselves from any invasion of extraterrestrial species. there's a lot of fear mongering going on, okay what does fear do when it comes to the government Tim it creates budgets it adds zeros to the budget, and all of a sudden that million dollar budget becomes a billion dollar budget that billion dollar budget becomes a 100 billion dollar budget up to a trillion dollar budget okay this is all about money it is all about fear tactic i don't believe it at all i don't i believe jim semivan is an experiencer i believe jim semivan and his wife have had contact a couple of times But you'll notice that when he states in there about the Two of the Stars Academy, he says, when we created the Two of the Stars Academy. Tom DeLonge has always said, when I created the Two of the Stars Academy, when I brought this team together. See what I'm saying? A lot of flaws there. A lot of flaws, man.
7: Yeah, and wasn't um, Semivan also part of the task force and um, giving insight and information and debriefing Congress? Or am I wrong there?
1: Well, I mean, there's so many different situations that are going on. There are so many situations that are going on. There's a lot to be questioned, Tim. Mm-hmm. A lot to be questioned. Right? Right.
7: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I feel like this is somebody that's definitely in the know. And so, um, you know, whenever I hear somebody coming out of the CIA and I'm not quite sure of their uh, association, I mean, it's really tough to discern truth from fiction and who knows where disinformation starts and truth begins and where that line is somehow gray. And so it's very hard to dis- discern truth from fiction um, when we know that it's our government's mission to control this narrative, be it through direct line of fire or through um, articles like this through ex-CIA agents that, like you said, may still be completely attached to their uh, their mission and goals. And so I I love the idea that this is true. I don't buy into any of the fear aspect. I don't get fear from any of the interactions I have really ever had within exception of perhaps one, right? But um, it's just personal, my personal fear and my personal interpretation. Nothing like you said has ever been aggressive with me. And just like Preston was saying, I've never been backhanded by an ET or had anything fire anything at me. Now I know it happens, Um, but I, you know, I like the idea as Travis Walton said that it was an accident and that they actually came back to repair him and that some of these things are potentially benevolent, you know? And so that's, that's, it's really tough. It's really tough to discern the information in that line of truth and where to get it from.
1: Well, it is, and it's going to continue to be that way because the people who are high up involved, like Jim Semivan, we'll never see the truth. The public will never see the truth. We have to remember that, right? We have to it's remember incredibly that.
7: frustrating. That is incredibly frustrating, especially when we sit on tender hooks waiting for a UAP report or the, you know, the public version of one, you know, and things like that, just these morsels or an interview with somebody like Luis Elizondo, or somebody that we hope is in the know—that's very tantalizing and very frustrating, all in the same breath. You know,
1: very much, very much. You know, I mean, it's
7: yeah, uh, uh, and it draws us kind of into our our third topic does. for the it night. Does.
1: Let's just get there. Uh,
7: and so, this brand new article from the Hill is titled "Pro and Anti UFO Factions in Government." It wouldn't be the first time. Right. And so we see it in all factions of the government, too, from NASA to Air Force and probably into the Space Force and FBI, CIA. We see it everywhere. So it's not just coming you know, on this topic. But uh, shortly before the release of the second government report on U- unidentified flying objects in as many years, dueling narratives emerged in the media. A New York Times article poured cold water on the theories of alien visitation and the extraordinary technology alluded to in the 2021 report. And so citing government officials, the Times pointedly downplayed the recent military UAP incidents as foreign drones, balloons and airborne trash. And then a Daily Mail article, in contrast, struck a remarkably different tone. And among several eyebrow-raising quotes, one source sharply criticized their office of the Director of National Intelligence colleagues, stating they don't want to talk about UAP because they really, really don't know what the hell they are. And so the mail sources disclosed several key details about the report prior to its release, including that the U.S. government cannot explain more than 150 ufo encounters reported over the past year and so in short competing factions appear to be vying for control over the uap narrative and if this is indeed the case history is just repeating itself from 1951 to 1953 with uh captain edward ruppelt um, serving as the first director of the project blue book Um, all the way up to our current assessments. And so I'm just going to skip forward in this really great article from the hill. I recommend everyone just dives into, um, facing intense pressure to resolve the UFO conundrum, RuPolt ended up writing that the people on the UFO project tried a new hypothesis and UFOs just don't exist. And so we're seeing that coming up again with pressures coming from the government Or perhaps some outside sources, we're seeing these two very clear standing sources competing for this topic and this narrative. And so it's being very pronounced coming through our media. But there are strings behind the media that I'm very interested in. Because obviously, it's the sources of these articles that are leading the commentary. So who are these people behind these articles? Um, And I will just dive forward here Because there's quite a bit of history in this article just showing how there's always going to be two sides to every slanted story. And depending on where it's coming from, you're going to get that angle trying to sell its readers on its topic and its direct narrative. Dave, I know this is frustrating for you because you're somebody that works in the media and you are very discerning in your sources. and You have very strong opinions on who is what side. And so I'm very interested to take your opinion, not only just on this article, but on this topic itself.
1: Well, let's get to the topic first, okay? This is going to take a lot more than the six minutes we have left, okay? But I'll say this, Tim. We have to understand that there is a giant, giant divide between progressive governing people and those who are still hiding behind a Bible in Washington, D.C., okay or whatever religious text that they want okay the religious scripture will tell you point blank that aliens are demons anything that comes from space is demonic it's part of the apocalypse or coming apocalypse or whatever it may be this is where we get into danger because we religion and politics should never mix and yet it does, unfortunately. You know, and when you have 50% of the political figures who are still, at least publicly, their face, their facade is, I'm all about the good book. And then you have 50% who say, yeah, well, the good book, uh, you know, doesn't explain what our Navy pilots are going through, what our Air Force pilots are going through, what our commercial pilots are going through. All right, and there might be people out there looking for a little bit more. This is where the Great divide happens in washington d c and that is an ugly, ugly, ugly argument that is going on. Luis Elizondo has come out many a time saying that this is one of the biggest you know fights in u s government history is the divide on this, and why this subject can't come out further than what what it is okay that's the danger now the media side of everything tim we have to understand that the majority of people who are covering this subject on a fringe or a fringe media level or an alternative media level have zero journalism experience and background at one point i could count 10 12 fake journalists that have made a ufo name for themselves by docs by uh uh putting on their social media and their resumes that they are a journalist now a lot of people will say well journalism is a scumbag industry yeah it is it is Okay. The bottom three uh, industries that anybody could be involved with is a lawyer, a journalist, or a car salesman. And the idea behind the, when I say that is journalism hasn't done itself any favors over the last 25, 30 years. Ever since the O.J. Simpson uh, case and CNN went nuts, the ratings went nuts over that. That's where we saw journalism really t- take a fall on a national level, is when that case was going on. But when we come into the UFO world, anybody can be anything that they want. We have fake scientists out there claiming quantum that they are experts in quantum physics. We have fake journalists out there who don't know how to report, who don't know how to gather sources, who don't know how to tell a proper story, write one, YouTube it, blog it, vlog it, podcast it, whatever. All right? They pick sides, and then they try for these, aha, gotcha, moments to try and make people look like fools. Instead of explaining the whole paragraph, they focus on one half of one sentence. And it does us no good. You know, we ask, where is the journalism in this field? Where is the fairness in the reporting? It doesn't help when you got a name like Jim Semivan, who will go on a podcast with less than 100 listeners, but turns down the bigger shows, like this one or Jimmy Church, okay? And won't go on there to explain his sightings and what he feels is going on. But hey, you got 35 listeners, let's make an impact. Right, it also doesn't help that the Two the Stars Academy, at their beginning, only favored those uh alleged podcasts, journalists that were supporting them. Real journalists don't have a side; they call it down the middle, at least they're supposed to. So all these fake journalists that are out there covering the UFO world in the UFO world. I wouldn't put their paper on the bottom of my birdcage. It's not worth it. Very rarely do you have someone step out of the limelight. A Tim, um, uh, uh, you know, Tim McMillan or a Danny Silva. But even then, sometimes it's slighted with their opinion. Because real journalists don't, write with opinion they write with facts and that's the biggest difference i could go on and on about this tim i really could but we have run out of time tim Senor, thank you for coming on in thank you. and uh, giving us the ufo report excellent excellent news uh, that you provided for us tonight very much appreciate thank you for firing me up about nasa again those dirty swines Absolutely dirty swines. And now you're getting it. After this report with the astronaut, you are getting it. They are lying. I've,
7: yeah, I've been getting it. I've been definitely getting it. It is, it's, I get it.
1: Yeah. And. To our guest tonight, Preston Dennett, for coming on in. Swamp Dweller for another spooky report. And you know what? What a great night of radio indeed. We got Mr. Ron Bumblefoot Thal rocking in the background with Little Brother is watching. Bumblefoot is the official music of Spaced Out Radio. Rocking us in and out of every single show. Get your horns up for the guitar god himself. Special thanks to everybody listening in at home, at work, in your cars, wherever you may be. Thank you to everyone in our chat rooms tonight. YouTube, Twitch, LGAP, Facebook, the Space Travelers Club, Spreaker, and on Twitter, and hashtag Spaced Out Radio. Remember, this show is copyrighted by Spaced Out Radio and SOR Media Ventures Limited. Thank you so much for tuning us in tonight. Because together, my friends, we're watching. We own the night. Mr. Bumblefoot, we need a favor. We need you to take us home. Yes, the Woo train has docked for the night, but soon, my friends, we shall ride again. Your seats are always available, your tickets never expire, and if you want to bring a friend like Dirty Filth, we got room for them, too. Good night.